everyone and welcome to the podcast. Tonight we're going to do part two of Tony Dinozo Dreams a Little Bigger. Last night we talked about um, why and he should dream a little bigger and his circumstances in canon, various characters and, and how they influenced him in canon. Tonight we're going to talk about his actual path to um, better days and probably Randolph Rampart. <laughs> I plotted. I plotted a story for them last night. A little, fl- I did. a little, I a little fluff. A li- so you're you're gonna do it for Dance. dancing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it for first kiss. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm here for it. I'm gonna be out of tea here any second, and then I'm gonna. That is drink- terrible. And then I'm gonna drink my water, and then I'm gonna have to stop in the middle of the podcast and go to the bathroom. <laughs> True, true, true. Okay, so I think, honestly, among the minions, one of the more popular ways to get um, Tony out of NCIS is to stick him in Stargate. <laughs> we like the start Tony to Stargate because it just it solves so many problems. And it, and the if I'm you, I'm fine actually with moving stargate timeline around to match up to ncis but actually where the stargate timeline intersects with ncis is actually like optimal to get tony out which would be you know season season eight ish of um stargate and season one of stargate atlantis line up around season two three of 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 ncis so it's a really good time um but it would be fun to get Tony in as something other than an agent afloat. And Lady Holder did agent very far afloat. There's a few people who've done Tony as agent afloat on Atlantis. There's another story called Agent Far Afloat or something like that. I don't remember exactly how many varies or how far. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be the there seems to be a variation in the title between how many varies and how many fars. Um, and then. Um, it is a very natural move. Yeah. Um, it does solve a lot of problems. It removes him from what I consider to actually be a very abusive work environment. Yeah. Well, actually, he- you know what? I think uh, Tony would make a very, very interesting psychologist. Um, he's very good at reading people. He's, um, he's empathetic. He is, I mean, I think he would actually be a very good. Not mad at it. He could, um, I could go, you could go something like, well, I wouldn't know if this really want to, if he does, if he has like, a, let's say he has a little bit of a longer recovery for his knee after college, or even that he takes a, like a bullet wound or something in Peoria or Philly, and he has, gets laid up for a little while, and so he starts getting more education, and then that takes him on a path of something else, like psychology or, um, and he could get on the SDC's radar because of his genetics, like, oh, well, we need a psychologist. Or four, 12. I do think profiling is also natural for Tony. The, the things that seem really like good fits for him are like um, psychology, um, profiling, intelligence work. I think those are all really good fits for the way. Uh, you could even do something along the lines of code breaking. Um, you know, Atlantis might not be a pro, might not need a profiler, but the SGC does. Yeah, that's one of the things I have Tony doing in um, the sequel to, which is actually why he gets kidnapped in the sequel to uh, If Found, is that 
one of the things he does is he changed the way they do their background checks. And he actually profiles the people that they're wanting to bring in to keep positions in the SGC. And he's so good at it that he's weeded out, just prevented several trust plants from getting in the door. And that's ultimately why he's kidnapped is because they're trying to get someone in around Tony's um, profiling procedures for the background checks. They make it look like it's money motivated because he's a shepherd, but it's really about the background thing that his profiling of, of these um, applicants for the SGC and uh, Gibbs is the one who figures it out. And then he climbs into bed with Patrick. So I'm not mad at this. <laughs> in the meantime, Tony spends most of the story like out of it. He's not in it. The whole story, he's not in it because he's just sitting in a room somewhere. I think it would also um, it'd be interesting to see Tony leave the team um, at NCIS and join the BAU and for Kate to be all like, what the hell does he have that I don't? Everything. Everything. Literally everything. And it would be really nice to have like somebody like David Rossi, which I'm not sure if the timeline would line up, but I wouldn't care. Just basically tell her that she's actually um, the last person he'd want to see in a BAU position because she's judgmental and narrow-minded. Yeah. Uh, Kate's not stupid, but she is judgmental and narrow-minded. And she's super rigid and she's super, she, she's so constrained by her religious uh, beliefs and her background that it, it almost makes her ineffective in law enforcement. Never mind profiling. I wish somebody had looked her right in the eye and said, hey, suicide wouldn't be such an extreme sin in the Catholic Church if Catholics wouldn't do it. If it would never cross a Catholic's mind to commit suicide, it wouldn't be a cardinal sin. They wouldn't have had to, they only make these kinds of rules when somebody does it. It's sort of like that rule about not having sex with your wife after her water breaks. They wouldn't have made that rule if somebody wasn't doing it. I mean, how could she not, I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Right. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, and it's really just comes down to bad writing and um, lack of research. Um, I think that most of Kate's problems are actually in the writing. Mm -hmm. um, because whoever, like, whoever did those scripts for, you know, the, the, writing, the writing team for those couple of seasons, number one, didn't know a damn thing about profiling. Number two, I don't think they particularly liked women. And number three, did I say two? Three, um, they wrote her often in like a, like a role where she was deeply um, uh, homophobic. And it was just like, it was really off-putting. Yeah. And she routinely had killers right in front of her. And she was also transphobic. And it was like, and that could be the time period. You could dismiss it at that. But I do think that also... Um, now, I don't know why she had training and profiling, but she did, in her character bio, have training and profiling. Um, well, but the kind the kind of profiling, what they had to mean, the only profile, the kind of training she'd have on, on the presidential detail would be how to profile, like, the body language of people in a crowd to look for threat, threat assessment, right? That's not the same thing as criminal profiling. Yeah, exactly, Kai. Well, I don't think who has the gun is it. That's not all Secret Service does, number one. Um, but number two, 
it would also be who's paying too much attention to the president in the crowd who is not animated who is not moving with the crowd who is singularly focused who is not i mean because you know a threat isn't just a gun Right, it's a threat assessment. But it how is a many threat times assessment have I itself. seen this face in this crowd? How many states have we been in? Who is focused on the wrong thing? And threat assessment is not the same thing as profiling, although there is an element of profiling to it. It would be like, okay, so who's spending more time looking at our security than looking at the rest of the event? Who's looking for security cameras rather than paying attention to the speaker or whatever? Who's wearing a ridiculously oversized coat in the middle of summer? You know, right? So, but Secret Service does do a kind of profiling, um, and yes, Secret Service does work with the Department of Treasury. They handle um, uh, money counterfeiting and a couple other things. I think Department um, of I thought Department of Treasury moved out from under Homeland Security. It wouldn't have been back now. Back then, it would have been. Um, yeah, they did write her as the girl. The girl that Gibbs needed to train and and teach and nurture and use as a daughter replacement. Uh, 2003 is no longer... As of 2003, the Secret Service is not part of the Treasury. Okay, that's good to know. Do they still handle, like, counterfeit stuff and stuff like that? Or is that um, part of Homeland now? I'm sure that's part of the Treasury. Uh, no, Secret Service is part of Homeland. If you're wondering why I'm being quiet, it's easier to find her typing if I'm not talking at the same time. <laughs> just visually in the tracks um because <clears throat> they're because they are separate tracks that i get but it's easier to pick out her typing if i'm not talking at the same time because there'll be like a big space and then there'll be like little wiggles so it just makes it easier <laughs> but um yeah i mean so it would be disingenuous to say that secret service has no experience in profiling so she probably did have profiling classes she probably even attended profiling classes with the fbi i imagine that's where they got their training for that or where they get their training for assessment but so the investigations honestly, the, so the investigation side of the secret service is still there um but it, secret service is no longer part of treasury because that moved out because secret service moved under own land mm -hmm. um but from what I've read in the past about the training, the investigation side and the protection side of the Secret Service are very different. They have very different classes. It's like you can just take an agent from one and flop them into the other. They're really very different charters. So, Right. Um, but honestly, in canon, I think both Gibbs and Tony exhibited better profiling skills than Kate did. Gibbs could see a threat from 100 yards. Gibbs had a very good threat assessment. But that comes from being in war. Tony's come from police experience, which both, which uh, which Kate, Tim, and Ziva dismiss regularly as unimportant. Yeah, Gibbs also worked as a spy. He also did espionage work, and 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 he worked as a sniper. So Gibbs's observation skills were very high, and it was written very well. But Kate, not so much. But it would be nice to have somebody get in her face and tell her that she's not all that in a bag of chips. I would really enjoy a bag of chips right now. <laughs> but especially if Tony gets recruited to the BAU. Now, even if Rossi's not part of the BAU, he could he could be Tony's mentor, like in the background. And when they're forming the team, um, maybe Hotchner's forming a new team or whatever, and he recommends Tony. And he calls up Hotch and says, I, I recommend this guy at, the, at NCIS. He's got a similar background to Derek, so there's no reason that they couldn't bring him on board because Derek went from cop to fed who specialized in arson. 
When would okay on the timeline? Where is like the first season of the B um, of Criminal Minds versus NCIS? It's two years. I believe it's two. I believe I have to double check, but it was. I believe it's two years after. So it's two thousand five. So the first. So it would be round um, season three, I think. So Gideon's gone. No, Gideon's I, there. Gideon, Gideon would absolutely be there. Season so, three events, yes. I mean, season three of C Criminal Minds is when Gideon left, right? Right, but we're talking season it, it, one it, of Criminal Minds would be season three of okay. NCIS. So Gideon would actually, if you did it slightly before season one of, of Criminal Minds, Gideon wouldn't be there. Because Gideon had a nervous breakdown. That's right. So Gideon was Yeah, I know when he left, I didn't know like where that placed it on NCIS. So that would have been like what um, year six of NCIS when 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 Gideon was no longer with the BAU. Uh, five, 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 five. Which was Jenny Shepard's last year. It is disingenuous to say that Reed would not have caught the attention of um, Aaron Hotchner without Gideon. Well, but wasn't but he Reed probably wouldn't have been in the field because he was too young. But wasn't Reed already in the BAU when Gideon decided to, quote, come back? He was at the academy, I believe, either learning or teaching or both. No, I think, I think Reed was in the BAU. Uh, he was, he was, uh, I'd have, have to rewatch the first episode, but I thought Gideon's first time back, Reed was already there. It's my understanding that Reed is actually Gideon's, um, He's his protege, uh, protege, yes. Yeah. So he might have been there and stayed there while Gideon was having his nervous breakdown. Um, but I think Gideon brought him in originally to the team. Yeah, but it but you could have if you went slightly before when when Gideon came back, you could have Tony on the team with Reed being there and Gideon isn't there. You could write an AU where Gideon never came back to the BAU. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that taking Gideon out of the puzzle removes Reed at all. I mean, Reed would have still gone through the BAU. I mean, um, the, the FBI Academy, he would have still been severely overeducated for his job. I think he might not have gotten into the BAU as young as he did because he wasn't actually supposed to be there at his age. Um, but my point in all that is you can do a divergence where, where, all those all those things happen, and the only thing that changes is that Gideon doesn't come back. Right. That that for whatever but, reason, you know, they don't honestly, clear him I to think return. it would better serve Reed if he hadn't been put in the field so young. Um, just personally. Yeah. But Gideon was never really interested in doing what was best for Reed. He's a very selfish, very selfish person. He wanted to mentor his successor, and that's all he cared about. It's the best possible successor he could have, in his mind. Yeah. Someone told me that um, I wrote um, a Sentinel Guy crossover with Aaron Hotchner and um, Reed. Um, and someone told me that, uh, that I made Gideon creepier than, than they thought possible he could be based on canon. <laughs> Because he was a dormant sentinel who tried to, he was kind of sexually obsessed with Reed. Um, Gideon is complicated, but so is Hannibal Lecter. Just saying. 
<laughs> Gideon is complicated, but he's also selfish. And being um, selfish does not mean you're simple. Um, he uh, he is tortured. He is damaged. But he was so arrogant in his assumption that it didn't matter how damaged he was. That he could still go back and do the job. And no one said no to him. And someone should have. Yeah, someone should have. And that's what you could write. You could write that they say no. And their read is in position. And I think without Gideon's push-pull, push-pull, that Hotch might... I think Hotch gave in to him too much. Um, oh, you know, the last thing I would ever have done to the character of Reed was put him into a um, a Crimes Against Children unit. Number one, he's not very good with children. Um, and number two, um, Reed himself is an abused child. Now, it is not something that his parents, well, his mother did on purpose, but she's a paranoid schizophrenic. Reed grew up in very abusive circumstances. His father abandoned him to his paranoid schizophrenic mother. And it was, yeah, deeply neglectful and not her fault, but abusive. You can't say it wasn't abusive. Um, to the point where he had to commit her at 18. That he had to make that decision at 18 years old. That's abusive. Yeah. Um, so I would never ask a person who grew up in those circumstances to work with crime against children. And Aaron Hotchner has to know. I mean, if, if Aaron Hotchner didn't look to take one look at Reed and just see what his childhood had done to him, he had no business being in charge of that unit to begin with. And it would be frankly unforgivable to put him in a situation where he had to work with abused children. And just, it would just be disgusting. Cause he's not nearly, I mean, you Tony didn't grow up in good circumstances either, but Tony is a very different personality type from Spencer. And that makes all the difference. Spencer Reed is, um, his empathy is too, he's very sensitive. His empathy is. He would over-empathize with those children. I also don't think he would be a very good person to work continuously with uh, rape victims. At that stage, Spencer was probably the best fit for Team 5, which is research strategy and instruction. Mm -hmm. He would have probably thrived there, but he might have been bored. Intellectually thriving, but like personally kind of bored. But from a, from a kind of, honestly, from an easing him into it kind of thing, because Unit 4, Units 3 and 4 deal with some really deeply ugly stuff, which is the crimes against children and the crimes against adults. Um, they could put him in counterterrorism and arson. So he could be out in the field, but it's not quite so atrocious, you know? Not that terrorism isn't atrocious, but if, the depravity they put, the kinds of crimes that they investigate in the show. The pig farm, anybody? Oh um, God, the pig farm. Do, are we, any of us ever going to get over those two episodes? Gideon... Um, Jason Gideon had the most profiling experience and the most experience in the BAU of anybody else. Um, when he had his breakdown, yes, I believe he was the chief uh, because he had been there forever and he didn't leave the way Rossi did. Not on the level that Rossi did. I think he probably took periodic breaks to teach and all that stuff, but he was there the whole time, basically. And I imagine that Aaron Hoshner was his first protege. In the Criminal Minds universe, David Rossi and Jason Gideon created the BAU, yes. The, the timeline of that doesn't gel, though. Neither one of them are old enough. No, no. 
In fact, Rossi was supposed to have also been in... Um... <laughs> He's supposed to have made it to Master Sergeant as a Marine in the Vietnam War. In Vietnam War. Come yeah, on. So that's not... He's not... That's not accurate. And he's still a field agent today? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I need to do a little bit more research. But anyway, so you could you could easily have Tony get recruited too. And really, like we talked about last night, the timing is ideal in the first three seasons to get Tony out with minimal angst. I don't think his, his enmeshment with Gibbs... I actually think Kate's death and kind of cemented the enmeshment. Um... And if you get Tony out shortly after the plague, it leaves a hole in the team for Ziva and Kate doesn't have to die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because let's be honest, no matter what they intended when they wrote it, it looked like Kate was killed to make room for Ziva. And like air and like she set it up. Now the thing is, and I think they the... might have actually written it that way and then changed their mind later. I do think they changed their mind about Ziva's arc later. Because people liked her for whatever reason. I never liked her. Um, but the other thing is, is also, it depends on how you do it. I do think part of the thing is Ziva tripped Tony, not Tony, Gibbs' daughter, father daughter trigger. Kate didn't. I didn't see any. No, sometimes I think, you know, I'm, I've often wondered if the Kate thing had lasted, if, if Kate had lasted longer on the show, if, if he wouldn't have ended up banging her. Yeah, I think that's possible. But there was no father-daughter vibe there. So the thing is, if Ziva thought, if Ziva, I think Ziva knew that she had to play up that angle because she had profiles on her. She had, Ziva had profiled everybody on the team. So because she knew everything about Tony when she came to work the first day. So I think I, I see Kate being actually very, very judgmental of Ziva. Well, and Kate Ziva is very exactly. rigid. Um, yeah, the the slut shaming would be real, and Ziva would know exactly how to play her too. But I could actually see Kate. The thing is, here's the thing: Kate doesn't have a lot of career options, unfortunately. No, because she got fired by Secret Service. Yeah. So if Kate wants to stay in federal service, she's not going anywhere. She's going to be staying with on with NCIS, um, unless she. You know, she could go into something, take her profiling degree and go, I guess, be a, you know, marriage and family therapist or something like leave, I guess. But she'd have to get out of federal service. She's not. Um, she actively can't what? She'd work her way back up and then maybe like someday down the road, she could move into a different. But the show didn't care about that because Canon already kind of negated that she actively can't go back in. But anyway. Um, but did she really get fired or did she like transfer before she could get fired? I mean, that could have been how they got around it. She um, resigned. So that, okay, they're, they're saying in the chat room she resigned. But it's not like they didn't know. It's not like it's not in her record that she was banging the, the president's football carrier. So, which she wasn't supposed to be doing. So they were very inconsistent with her characterization because her her getting in trouble in the very first episode for who she was fucking, when she was fucking somebody she shouldn't be fucking, and then she was so uptight and prudish. But yeah, if Gibbs hadn't hired her and brought her on the team, she wouldn't have had any career options. And if she decides to just walk out on Gibbs' team, she's not going to be finding a place that 
she hasn't done anything noteworthy, right, in the show. There wasn't anything she did that's going to get her the FBI interested in her or anything like that. The one thing I would think that would probably, um, she would have to make somebody like her a lot. And that would smooth the road for her. Yeah. You know what, though? The, the wet t-shirt thing totally fits. She's an uptight Catholic girl who went on um, spring break with her friends, got a little drunk. And her friends talked her into it because they never got, they never talked her into doing anything because she was a goody two shoes. So they got her really drunk. Cause you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest. When I was in college, I had one of those friends that was like that. Um, and any opportunity to get her really drunk was one we took. We never let her get into a whole lot of trouble, but right. Um, but we did let her get in trouble. I don't agree, actually. I don't think resignation equals forced out because she wasn't given, she made that decision before they could give her the ultimatum of, okay, you, you're going to resign or we'll fire you. That conversation didn't happen. That's not what she said. She said, I resigned before I could be fired. But she, it, the implication is, but if she gets the right person on her side, if she made really good friends with Morrow, he could have taken her with him to Homeland Security. It, it, it may seem like a nit, but it actually does make a big difference if she if she throws down the gauntlet before anybody gets a chance. Because while they can document her procedural breach, they can't like document a disciplinary action if she's already gone. So it, it does make a difference. But anyway, moving on, because this is completely not even remotely the point. Um, it's shady, yeah, but that's how the world works. That is how the world works. And Gibbs knew that's how the world works. And if he wanted her on People. his team, and honestly, if you want to look at it as Gibbs being manipulative, he played her because he was going to get somebody loyal to him who didn't have any other options. Right. Well, she could have easily gone into private security and made really good money. Really good money. Um, but, uh. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Um, okay, so that's talking about Tony going to the BAU. Um, let's pick a, Let's pick another path for him. I think he would thrive in the BAU. I think that he would be... Clearly the BAU agents are fairly senior agents because all of them were supervisory special agents. You notice that? They're all SSA this, SSA that. Hotch is the um, unit chief, but they're all senior agents, right? So... Um, let's pick another career path. If anybody has any career paths that they would be interested in here seeing us discuss for Tony and when to get it out, drop it in the ask a question for the podcast. We may not get to them all, but, um, so let's talk about a trajectory that takes him into up into the management chain eventually, maybe not direct, not maybe not immediately. Cause I don't think Tony would be happy with that, but eventually takes him some sort of path that he's ambitious. He's motivated. He's driven. And he ultimately winds up in the big chair at an agency. Let's do that. Okay. I would like to see him in the FBI. Okay. I would, but if we take him out of the BAU, um, it would be like counterterrorism, maybe, in a big city like New York or um, Chicago, L.A. Mm -hmm. Don Epps, yes. yeah, 
any reason to bring the king of thigh holsters into the conversation is a good one. <laughs> I put a little shiver down my back. Yay. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and Morrow yeah. is a good cho- choice too with Homeland Security. Um, maybe something like special operations, kind of like what they do in NCIS LA, um, but like for the FBI, or I would not want to put him in the CIA. No, I never think I think the CIA is too shady for Tony. I agree. I could see I could see him intelligence, but not for the CIA. I wouldn't couldn't see him as like an operative that runs around the world undercover like the CIA does. I wouldn't see him as a as a an operative like that. Uh, some undercover work, sure, but um Okay, so people have made a couple suggestions. So we get into the so we get into the FBI. There's a lot of different we talked about. We already talked about paths. We could get into the FBI, but I think he could easily move up the chain pretty quickly. Um, and the the difficulty is getting Tony from the mindset of moving from a field agent position into management, and that's a little bit of a difficulty with someone like him because he is so attached to being in the field. Um. I think it boils down to giving him a challenge. Giving him an opportunity to work with lots of different people. Um, to make lots of connections. Um, and what if what if agents he's been working with, what if Tony's like, what if he's like a, a special agent in charge or whatever, and he's like next in line to be an assistant director, and he's really resistant to moving out of field agent position. Because as far as I understand it, the most senior a senior position that actually is considered a field agent is a special agent in charge. Um, so what if he's been re- he's reluctant to do that? What if his fellow agents go, look, dude, look, we need somebody like you, that they want someone like you who understands what it is to be an agent, who understands what we face out there, to be in the seat. And it, that, it could be that somebody just points it out to him. Wouldn't you rather it be someone like you, who was who was your boss, who understood what being in the field is like and remembers and is good at it, um, to be in the chair than somebody, you know, some bureaucratic paper pusher who couldn't cut it in the field? Yeah, it is. I agree. It is the same sort of dilemma that Jack O'Neill had. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we can't I mean, trust anybody else in that chair. So you're, you're, you're going to have to sit in it. Yeah, Tony, we know you don't want to be the head of this big intelligence project, but we really need you to do it. And if you don't tell anybody once in a while, we'll let you go out into the field. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sneak you case files. If you're the assistant director, the only person that can tell you you can't is the director. And if he doesn't know, <laughs> I think you get to do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there were occasions in NCIS LA where Owen Granger was in the field. Yeah, I'm sure it happened. And Tony could work cases, right? There's nothing that says he couldn't sit down with his his teams and sit down and say, let's review the cases that are difficult right now. And he could be really good. Because I if my head can Tony's the best at solving cold cases, sitting at his desk. So he could sit there and look over cases and help his teams and keep them and make them better agents by being an active hands-on assistant director. Being all in it. Yeah, I agree. I I think that would be really interesting. I've never talked about this part of this story 
on the podcast. You, you and I have talked about it. I've never talked about it on the podcast. But to me, this was sort of like the weird ultimate trajectory thing. In the For You-verse, which is the story with Ethan, the ultimate direct direction of that is that Ethan gets elected president, which makes Tony the first husband. Because they get married, of course. And so Tony is insistent. And so the code name, my code name for that whole verse is first agent verse, because somebody asked him, what are we going to, a member of the press asked him, what are we going to call you? And we call you the first husband. And Tony's like, hey, I'm the first agent. (laughs) (laughs) I am the first agent. So I called it. So my code name for this whole verse was the first agent verse. And um, so I have a scene plotted because. Mike Banning is in that, and he's head of the presidential security detail. And at one point, Banning calls Gibbs and says, Agent Gibbs, the first agent is bored. Very, very <laughs> bored. We need some ca- we need some cold cases. If you wouldn't mind running them over to the White House, that'd be great. <laughs> he's I imagine, you know, he honestly wouldn't just be calling Gibbs. He'd be like calling Fornell and, you know, USA. Look, I mean, you know, he's bored. He's really good at this. Can you give him some files? <laughs> just anything. Yeah. And that was one of my stories. I had a trajectory with Tony having, well, it's not exactly his ambition, but when, when Ethan is asked to run for president, he talks to Tony about it. So how do you feel about this? And Tony and Ethan are both like, I don't think this is going to go anywhere, but if you want to do it, I'll support you. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be all, all in with you, honey, if that's what you want. And they both are sitting there thinking this isn't very probable. Ethan's a gay black man. (laughs) This isn't going to go anywhere. Right. And yet he gets elected president, of course, because it's my story and there's going to be a happily happy ending. And, um, I want to see the scene where they sit him down and say, oh, usually the first person um, has a project that they undertake while their husband is um, the president of the United States. And they could list like, you know, Na- Nancy Reagan focused on drug use and Mel- Michelle Obama did it at school lunches and education. What would you like to do? <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to overhaul the justice system. <laughs> Well, actually, what I had in my plot, because when, when we talked about this, we talked about him doing, um, he, him calling it Project Justice, which would be about resolving the backlog of ba- rape kits. Yeah. Um, but that's a project. That's not going to keep Tony busy. That is, he can't process those rape kits himself. All he can do is move that, you know, keep on top of that project and move it forward. And so he gets bored. He gets terminally bored and nobody's happy with it. And um, he's very restricted in what he can do now because you know, the eyes of the world are on him because anyway, so that's when Mike Banning gets on the, you know, puts out the first agent as board alert, <laughs> but that's what he insists on being called. I'm the first agent. <laughs> and so that's part of, it's not exactly Tony finding his ambition in that story because it's not really his ambition because when, when, when Ethan wins the presidency, wins the election, Tony's kind of sitting there scratching his head going, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I really thought we were going to be going back to our house. and This was just going to be, you know, we did our best, but it just didn't work. Yes. Hashtag first agent boredom. They could just, they could just actually use funny little, they could have a code account on Twitter that nobody understands what hashtag first agent boredom means. And when this dummy account puts that out, like there's an alert. Somebody find him something new. We know we're not supposed to give these cases to people outside our agency, but we're going to do it anyway. 
Tony's got a whole war room of cold cases in the White House where he's sitting there solving crimes because he's bored. I kind of picture Tony at the out on election night turning to Ethan and saying, I'm going to, we're going to need a trial separation for about four years. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. And, you know, I'd marry you all over again when this is done. And if I'll you get reelected, four years. <laughs> but I'm, di- I'm divorcing you if you get reelected, motherfucker. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. But can you imagine him hopping up, getting a getting a text, and him hopping up in the middle of a state dinner? I gotta go. We just gotta break in the case, and people are going, "What case? <laughs> what case?" <laughs> he, and Ethan's like, "Just don't pay attention to him. It, it it's his project." <laughs> um, they could build him a room like MTAC. <laughs> oh, he would totally have one. He would have a very secure room where he has all the cases he's working on. He would it need probably- his own MTAC because he couldn't actually go in the field himself. He'd be like, okay, but one of you got the one of you bastards is gonna have to wear a camera <laughs> so I can be in it as much as possible. Whose body camera are we on right now? And, and I Danny, did like- not run for president. <laughs> it reminds me of that scene that I, I only watched one episode of D- the Designated Survivor because I didn't like the way it was. I have a it was too realistic in some ways and not realistic enough in others for me. But also, it was like, you know what? I could not stand the the, the leaning towards incompetent mm-hmm. thing. It was really bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a scene where she, um, his wife has been, ha- has been sat down and um, she's been told that her husband is being sworn in as the president of the United States. And it hasn't, and she's talking about what she has to do tomorrow and her job. It hasn't occurred to her yet that her life as she knows it is over. That she no longer has a career. And she no longer has a job. Because she's the first lady of the United States. And you can tell it hasn't set in yet. Yeah. Yeah. I can and see Tony, Tony having that moment. Like He's going to be supporting Ethan, supporting Ethan, going to work, taking time off occasionally for, for press conferences or whatever, going to work solving cases, you know, traveling various places, going to key events with Ethan, going back to work. And then Ethan wins the election and Tony's like, what just happened? You were supposed to lose. It was supposed to be four more years of Bush. What is going on, Ethan? (laughs) You were supposed to lose. So, (laughs) and now I don't have a job. (laughs) You were just making a political statement. (laughs) That's what I thought, Ethan. That's what I thought. And he could be all now, Ethan. Did I did I did I just lose my job because you got elected president? Is is that what just happened here? I'm I'm trying to put this together. Based on the timing of first agent, um, Ethan would be president instead of Obama. It would not be Obama. Right. Um but it would be really interesting if he had to call Gibbs and say, look, Gibbs, um, have you been watching the news? And Gibbs like, no, I'm in the basement. What with my boat? What, what's up? And he could be like, well, I'm going to have to take a four-year sabbatical. And then let maybe, it just sink in. Yeah. Maybe well, cool. eight, maybe, maybe, maybe eight, eight. If, if I can't talk him out of it. And Gibbs would be like, son of a bitch. I didn't even vote for him. Because <laughs> you know Gibbs would have been voting for anybody that wasn't Ethan because he wouldn't want Tony to leave. <laughs> right. And and, th- and actually that'd be even his that'd be hysterical is that Ethan calls Gibbs directly sometimes. Agent Gibbs, this is this is Ethan Moore. 
Mr. President, what can I do for you? <laughs> My husband is bored. <laughs> I thought he's bored. <laughs> he doesn't particularly like handling matters of state. So um, I'm going to put the fate of my marriage in your hands, Agent Gibbs. You really don't want to upset me. <laughs> Find him something to do. <laughs> I will give you a presidential order if need be. <laughs> what do we need to do to get some NCIS cases in here? He seems to like you military types. <laughs> so that's one direction i can't i mean other than tony actually getting elected president which is so in congress with his personality i just can't see it that doesn't make any i, I can't go there with tony's personality i can't see him as president so first agent was like the closest i could get to him to the highest position i could get him in the country but civilian positions there's a lot of civilian positions you know they could put him in as he you know oh when he gets a little bit older they could put him I wonder what, what, what the youngest um, sitting secretary ever was in any of the secretary positions. Like, let me just look at something up. Yeah. I, you know, also, it would be really interesting to see him step away from federal service. Um, maybe found his own company, his own, like, um, uh, government contracting service. Yeah. Susan, the first agent would totally get read into the Stargate program. <laughs> Actually, just for like, just for just to keep him from being bored, he would be like, O'Neill, can can you take my husband to see the Stargate? <laughs> you do not have permission to take him off world. But he could be all, actually with the day Ethan gets read, it could be hysterical. Ethan gets read into the program and he goes, Thank God. Get General O'Neill in here. I need him to talk to my husband. <laughs> You guys clearly need an in-house investigator and, you know, whatever. Just, you can beam him home, right? You can do that. That's a thing we can do. Great. Take him during the day. Awesome. Beam him home. No one, no one sees him leaving the White House. It's perfect. It is perfect. People think he's a fucking shit and he's living, he's practically in Colorado Springs all the time. Comes home for dinner. You would not believe what came through the gate. <laughs> we had a foothold situation. It was awesome. <laughs> That's somebody getting cussed out. And what Ethan's all stressed out because of course there was a fucking foothold situation. Not like Ethan wouldn't know, right? He could be like, "There's a foothold," and sh I, why the fuck did I let him take in there? Somebody beam my husband home. What do you mean you can't do it when there's a foothold? I'm just not tolerating this. <laughs> Someone lowjack my husband. O'Neill calls. O'Neill calls. Ethan says. Well, the Asgard was here. Turns out they like your husband more than they like me. But we'll have him back any day now. Any day now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? He comes home for dinner. There's an Asgard sitting at the table. Tangerine says, Ethan, when I thought about being married to you and being president, I never thought the presidency would be the relaxing part of my life. <laughs> and then Ethan's like, Tony, I think maybe we should reconsider this whole Stargate thing. And, and Tony's like, it's too late. You want to be president. That's like a deal I, breaker. <laughs> I, you get the White House. I get the Stargate. Fair's <laughs> fair, motherfucker. <laughs> 
And when you retire, you're retiring to Colorado. Did you know? <laughs> I am writing this. I am writing I've this. I've already I'm... picked out our house. <laughs> where's my where's my magazine cover? It's a gorgeous magazine cover. Hello, Mr. President. The ghouls aren't going to be doing anything to his husband. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a rule. <laughs> They'd be like, okay, he can't go off world. He needs a safe room in case of a foothold situation. And although I would prefer that he not be issued a weapon, I've been told that I'm not allowed to make that decision. <laughs> yeah, my husband did what to the gold? <laughs> you know, honestly, um, in all seriousness, if the first lady, first husband, first agent was involved in a project like that, there's no way in hell they would let that him him off the base or off the planet. No. Because He'd you be don't want to be the work person who calls the president of the United States and tells them that their spouse is dead because you let them go off world and get killed by an alien. The only way Tony would get off world is if something was catastrophic was happening in the mountain that they couldn't control and the safer thing to do was toss him off world. Because there's no hiding the death of the first lady or the first husband or the first agent. No. I mean, I could. The only, that's the only way I could see it is if they couldn't get him out and there was something really dangerous going on, I could see them maybe opening the gate to the land of light or something and tossing him through with his but with his secret service detail right and saying plant your ass with those bulls until we come to get you because you cannot stay here and then tony would so, never get to go back to the mountain unfortunately no no, no. that would be the death knell in, in, in his association with the sgc <laughs> so i'd have to make sure that never happened but that's the, uh, that's the only reason I, way i could see that them letting him go off world as if as if yeah but i on the other hand i could see the trust trying to snake him Oh, you know, it's actually my headcanon that the SGC doesn't need a massive budget boost because they get all the money they could use. There is, you know, there's a difference between building a secret airplane in Nevada and defending a portal that could allow the invasion of their of, um, of our planet. The yeah. SGC doesn't hurt for money. No, and also with all the alien technology that they bring back, if they don't have a whole division that's generating technology and patents and shit, better batteries. Honestly, better batteries. There's a ton of fucking money in a better battery. So there certainly is. So if there's not a if there's not a division um, generating tech to help fund the whole thing, then they just then they're just being short sighted. You know, actually, t Tony would actually be a good person in that role as first agent to be um, the face of declassification. Yeah, he could be. And the first, this has been part of the first agent, the first agent had his public project and his secret project was, drumroll. Um, because he wouldn't, because his association would be from the outside, so he wouldn't be, I mean, he would be an impartial party but a very informed part impartial party who would be uh, announcing the Stargate program. Um, so. Uh, so and part of the um, first agent thing is the whole, the whole country gets behind the first agent thing in the story because on inauguration day, Tony takes a bullet for Ethan. <gasps> I'm mad. <laughs> How Doesn't, dare you? 
die, obviously. Obviously, but, um, but what? Obvious. Look what you just did. Oh my god. Anyway, so anyway, at that I'm point, er, every, everybody gets behind the idea that Tony's first agent because, you know, he started off his his tenure as first husband as taking a bullet for the new president. So I mean, I can I can see that like him covering Ethan getting a bullet in Secret Service piling on the both. Yeah. <laughs> See, and the Secret Service is horribly pissed. They're horribly pissed about the whole thing. Um, and then they're like, and then and then because Mike Banning is part of the detail at that point, he he's talking to Ethan later and go, "You're not going to be the one that's hard to protect, are you?" <laughs> Ethan's like, "Of course not." <laughs> My husband Katra has had the plague. Of course, I'm not going to be the problem, Agent Banning. I don't actually think the Secret Service gets to lecture the first person of the United States. <laughs> well, no, but everybody's frazzled at that point. And he's not quite the first person when they have that conversation. Because um, the, the swearing-in didn't actually happen. It got interrupted because somebody shot at Ethan. It'd be a really interesting moment to try to say, okay, you need to finish getting sworn in. Yeah. He, I'm fine. He, get, do your thing. The way I have it in the, in the in the plot document is that uh, Tony that the swearing in happens at the hospital after Tony gets out of surgery. So there's not, a couple of hours there where there is no president of the United States. Right. It's an interesting moment. So that sounds like no, you get your sworn you get your ass sworn in, buddy. We're not we're not putting this off. And no, we are not gonna we're not waiting. We're gonna do it right here where we all are before anybody else has any time to concoct any schemes. It's like you guys don't even know me. <laughs> you don't seriously think I'm going to have Tony get shot, take a bullet for the president, and that's going to be a flesh wound, do you? I mean, like, no, but also, why wasn't he wearing a bulletproof vest? <laughs> He's going to do shit like that. He should be wearing a vest. I, I'm Somebody pretty sure he'll be wearing optics. Optics. Optics, yeah. Anyway, so that that's some, that's like an ongoing thing I'm working on. I'm up to the point I've I'm up to the point where Ethan and Tony are living together in my writing, um, and they're about it is terrible fictees. Um, and where I'm at in the writing, they're about to. I'm getting close to them getting outed because um, Tony gets the plague. Because mm. Ethan's not sitting that out. The senator is going to be at the hospital, and people are going to notice. <laughs> anyway, so that is one Ethan trajectory. is an OC. He's an OC, um, he's an original character. Yeah, Ethan's in the first episode of that series is on my site. It's called "I'll Forgive," and that's where Ethan and Tony. That's the story where Ethan and Tony get back together because they were together in college. They broke up. They get back together after Tony is sort of get back together after Tony is left at the altar. Um, okay, so some people had some other suggestions. Uh, one of the suggestions was about Tony being in MI6 as a Paddington. Um, that would be a complete AU. If he's a Paddington and he's in MI6, that means he served um, um, probably in the British military. Uh, that's where most MI6 come from. Yeah, I mean, um, if you if you did a Tony that was raised by his, um, like he went to live with his relatives in England after 
his mother died or after he got left in Hawaii. I mean, technically that would be a divergence point, but it diverges so early in canon that it, it does feel more completely like a AU setting. Um, I would actually be more inclined to put him MI5 over MI6. Um, mostly because I'd want to avoid the James Bond Association. Yeah. Well, I have I have one story where I plotted that Clive is active in MI5. Um, and when Tony goes in, gets in too deep with... Um, when Gibbs, after Gibbs gets blown up, and he's starting, he's suspicious of what Jenny Shepard's up to. Um, he, uncle, his uncle Clive gets him out. Yeah. So dark, dark has a has a uh, rule sixty three Tony who's Interpol. I also have a short that's rule sixty three Tony that's um, Interpol. Um, um, a short, yes, but I would not write an Interpol as a long one because it's so much. I mean, Interpol, Interpol really isn't a. It, it's it's a very it's a very it's, narrow purpose. Yeah, it's not. And they're very more about coordinating they the, look, the uh -huh. resources of other agencies together, and that doesn't seem like I don't think it would hold Tony's interest very long. It certainly wouldn't hold mine. Well, in M in the short that I wrote, Ruination, um, Tony was MI five when her uncle who was her adopted father became um the prime minister and mi5 said uh-uh we are not having her the prime minister's daughter no so they put her in interpol as the mi5 liaison in interpol um but interpol i agree is not the best fit for for someone like tony um interpol is portrayed very differently in the media than it actually is yeah, it's like it. It looks like some hotshot uh, international agency that fights crime, but they're not. <laughs> you know, it's just it's not quite what it is. Um, Erite, um, you will get a short with Bond and Tony being friends. Actually, it will be coming out probably late October, November ish. It's in there. It's in the feeding it's frenzy. In there. It's coming. In fact. I would go so far as to say James Bond does Tony the kind of solid nobody else could do. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? The one he's especially, 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 especially uh, perfect for. Um, that's not a tease. tease. No. That's a promise because Feeding Frenzy is finished. It's 100K, 100 plus K fic that you will get to enjoy very soon. Um. Crossing Line is also featured in Feeding Frenzy. I love Crossing Lines. They were, yeah, they were an investigative team with a criminal was a criminal court, the World Criminal Court. It's fantastic. I love Crossing Lines. Great show. You can watch it on Netflix, or at least you should be. You used to be able to. Oh, Mothership. Okay, that's Steve. Um. Okay, uh, so MI5, I think you could easily do MI5 if you did a Tony that was, and, and because of him being raised differently, I don't think there'd be an issue with um, Tony handling his ambition. Um, have we talked about him going rogue? Uh, 
you could do that. We didn't talk about it, but I think it could be, we talked about it. Well, we may have alluded to it. Morrow making like a heavy pitch for Tony when he leaves to go to Homeland. And it could be one of Tony's, you know, one of, it, and it could be that like, you know, Secnav in canon, it could be that like Secnav and Shepard negotiated for nothing that would disturb the, um, Yeah second season was terrible but they could have they could have made a um like a, a bargain with morrow that they not he not do anything that would destabilize the agency and it could be argued that taking you know gibbs emotional support animal away is um is a destabilizing thing but if you don't do if you don't have that um Gibbs could take, uh, I mean, Morrow could make a really heavy pitch for Tony to come with him when he leaves. It could, and the other w- reason you could look at that he didn't offer to take Tony was because of what was going on at that time, which was that um, Kate had just died. And Tony, and Tony was, was recovering from the plague. He's a, a pegacorn, actually. Uh, He's a pegasus and a unicorn. A, peg- a beautiful pegasus and a beautiful unicorn got together and made a baby and it was Tony. And then Senior stole him. <laughs> and Patrick was sad. And Patrick was very sad. So in that case, you could have Tony uh, Morrow be like, um, what if Morrow recruited Tony earlier? Like like he knew he, because this thing with Shepard had to be in the months forever. So what if you had Tony Mara recruit Tony when those negotiations were in the works with Shepard to become the new director. So Tony's aware of it. And what if it leaks somehow and Mossad knows that Tony's leaving. So they, they don't have any reason to go after Kate. Good, good. And so then Tony's, uh, Tony's not hampered by the death on his team when it comes to leaving and Oh, Shepard's got a ready-made replacement. Not that Ziva's any kind of replacement for Tony, but Gibbs would be screwed. He would have Kate, who barely knows the job, Tim, who's afraid to know the job, and Ziva, who doesn't even know what the job is. Right. He'd just be yelling all the time and getting nothing done. You know, honestly, Shepard could not. There is no single way that Shepard could put Ziva on the team with Kate and Tim. Oh, she could try, but it isn't going to work. Mean, there would be nobody to do the work because neither because Kate's still a probationary officer at that point. That's putting Gibbs in the role of having two probationary officers, not a single S, and neither one would qualify as an S, um, a senior field agent. He he would need a senior field agent, which means somebody else is going to have to go. I mean, Kate, I just don't think that they could actually work. She'd be right. Kate would be right at the end of her two-year probationary period. Mm-hmm. Um, but she sure said wouldn't be qualified to be the a senior field agent. No, she'd need at least three years of, of investigative experience. So, and I don't think they would count her years at the Secret Service. And honestly, because, I think that Tim would run for the hills. Oh yeah, I agree. So they might get Langer or Yates in really quickly because there'd be no. I think Tim this, would run for the hills, and Gibbs would be stuck with Ziva. Um, and th- she would have to put two people on the team that were very experienced. He might get Langer and Yates. 
Yeah, and that could actually be an interesting moment that you wouldn't even really see is that everything Gibbs thinks everything's going to be fine. And then he finds out just how I mean, he maybe he was even unaware of just how much Tony did. Um, when everything falls apart, because nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. That Tony held all those little little threads together that made things function. Kate doesn't know the job. Tim doesn't know the job. Neither one of them. I mean, they're both learning to be investigators, but they're not there yet. And the only person with any reasonable amount of investigative experience was Tony. And he's if he's gone. I mean, they could do the stuff they got they were taught at Fletzy, right? They could probably process a scene or and they will follow instructions that he gives them. But Tony had a dynamic on the team that neither Kate nor Ziva, nor, t- nor Tim could replace. So he would need an experienced investigator there. And none of them could be his SFA, so he would definitely need one of those. Yeah, and so they could bring in Cassie, or they could bring in um, Brett Langer, because they could recruit him from the FBI. But the team would fall apart first. It'd be a hot mess. And and I imagine Shepard would be on the phone to Tom Morrow. It actually could be an interesting, like, short to tell from Tom Morrow's perspective. His daily phone calls from Jenny Shepard. We need Denozo back. You can't have him back. I want to talk to him directly. I, I don't can't find a number for him. He's busy. He Doing is none in, of your business. He is on a top secret project, and he cannot be interrupted. No. Also, he's still recovering from the plague. <laughs> Jenny's emo blog, Queenie. Jenny's emo blog. You know, honestly, she might need one more than Eli does. Oh, it'd be a whole different kind of. You're gonna have a whole emo blog series. Tom starts an email chain. Guess what happened at NCIS today? <laughs> Everybody gets it, Shepard. Like all the directors of these different agencies get it, but her. <laughs> That'd be hysterical. There's this senior. Well, we know from Kenan that all those agency heads, they don't sit down with the director of NCIS. They sit down with the director. They sit down with SECNAV. It's the CIA and Homeland and SECNAV. It is not the director of NCIS. Right? It says a they, lot. They, it does say a lot. So that's canon, baby. Um so yeah, they could all be sharing, you know. And today, in today's news at NCIS, and it could be the running joke when they get together. So NCIS still crying about Denozo, and the, or, and the CIA could be really smug about it. So one agent broke your agency, huh? And Shepard could be just fuming, like, "What the? How do you know that? What are you talking about?" The agency. You not know, broken. it's actually my head cannon that Shepard moved into the position that she did as director to get access to Tony Denozo. You think to get access but it was to never Tony? about Gibbs. It was about Tony because of his um, of his work uh, um, undercover and it being well known and how he was a mob. And she thought he was her best asset to get to the frog. The so it's actually my head came in. She came in. She came into that position as director to get him under her control, so she could use him to get the frog. Well, she'd be fuming if she didn't if she didn't know that Tony was one of the assets that was on that was out going out the door. Because it seems like she had no other agenda as director but that. Yeah, none. Okay, so that's Tony going over to Homeland, and that could be an interesting tale to tell from Gibbs' point of view. It could be in, it has a very different vibe depending upon whose point of view you tell it from. Right? It could be told from Morrow's point of view and the Daily Wine Fest from NCIS. 
Where is Denozo? You can't talk to Denozo. He's it's like where's Waldo? Where in the yeah. world is Tony Denozo? <laughs> and whoever writes that, you can use that title. <laughs> and everybody's like, I'm sorry, Mara's like, you know, you gotta quit calling me. Do you realize that I'm the assistant director of a federal agency and you're calling me about one agent every day? You can't talk to him. Yeah, but that was the agent she wanted. I do believe that. Yeah. I could see I could see it. You could accept me into this. I mean, I imagine like five years out from her moving into that position, she's looking for somebody. She's looking at the evidence that she's got. She's looking at the information that she's getting from Mossad. He's gradually helping her move into a position where suddenly she's an assistant director and she's being eyed for the directory, um, the director's chair. Um, Eli pulls a few more strings and all of a sudden Tom Morrow, he's actually been very comfortable at NCIS, gets an offer for an assistant directorship at Homeland that he, that he can't turn down. And now Jenny's in the chair and she's been eyeing Denozo. Um, but they need to get rid of Kate. Or they gotten rid of Kate. They got they got, they got Ziva in place to also help control Denozo. That's probably yeah. one of the ways that they couched it to Jenny to get her in. And she's agreeing to say, okay, well, she can do this and she can do this and I can give her all this access. And we need to manipulate Denozo into a position where I can isolate him from Gibbs to use him for my benefit. And, she, and maybe the, she, the, the, the uh, explosion was Jenny had something else in the works to get Tony away from Gibbs. And then she was like, well, fate will provide. Yeah. And I think Ziva did a lot for that for to isolate Tony um, pretty much immediately to put him on the defensive, to, to give him a situation where I think she was kind of maneuvering him into position where he would see Shepard as um, someone he could depend on. Yeah. Someone who trying. would listen to him speak because Gibbs wasn't. Because the reality is that's exactly what that whole box did, dinner invitation thing was about. That was about isolating Tony. And, um, Oh, she doesn't was um she doesn't need Ziva, but Ziva needed to be there for her own mission. So if it, it 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 wouldn't matter if Tony was gone or not, she would still have to hold up her end of the bargain with Mossad. Because Mossad is feeding her intelligence. And Mossad killed Kate to make room for Ziva. So must you know, they gotta still get, do it, even if um, so even if Kate survives because Tony's leaving, she still put all this in play and she has no choice but to accept Siva. It would be really interesting if Tony was in a position where he ended up directing um, directing the um, investigation that arrested both Shepard and Ziva. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot you could do with Tony going with Morrow. Um it, it, Mara could actually be going to home world security, even if on paper it says he's going to homeland security. Um, so it could be that Tony gets recruited into the program. That could actually be the impetus for recruitment is that they look at Tony's um, genetics and they go, oh, he, is he a good investigator? Because he's got a gene we're particularly interested in. And Mara's like, he's an exceptional investigator, but we really, you know, the SecNav wants to leave him in place to, you know, keep Gibbs functional. And Jack O'Neill could be like, I'm really not impressed with that as a, I'm not impressed with that at all, actually. Because, but he could lean forward and he would be like, you do realize, sir, that you can't 
use a real live human being as an emotional support animal. It doesn't work that way. And if Gibbs is that much of a loose cannon, why the fuck does he still have a badge and a gun, sir? Mm-hmm. If he can't be trusted out in public, you know, then don't have him running the MCRT. Put him back on a two-man team. If he can't be trusted to run a team, if he, if you need Denozo there for Gibbs to be functional as a team leader, then it sounds like Denozo's the team leader. Moving on. So, so that could be, there's so, there's so many potential avenues with Tony going with Morrow. So many, so many that I really like, including going into intelligence. He could run a special investigation unit for them. Um, he could be a liaison under the crossing lines team from Homeland Security. Yes. I mean, you could do so much. Just saying. Okay, let's talk about a couple of these others. Um, somebody suggested he go to the CDC after the plague investigating outbreaks. Um, well, I don't think Tony has any credentials that lend him to going to the CDC. Um, and also, it could be really triggering. Why would he want to be involved in that repeatedly? Especially right then. I mean, so Cannon was a little bit contradictory. So, uh, Cannon was contradictory about this in terms of when they had that ship with this. They, I can't remember the. I think it, it was, was season the five. New Orleans. The Chimera. Episode. No, no, well, no. Yeah, no. that, but there was also a New, or New Orleans episode. Right, where but that's he the, was that's, brought in because of the plague. But that's the contradiction I'm talking about is those two oh. episodes. The Chimera, Tony was freaked out. In, on the Chimera, which was like three years, two or three years, two years after his brush with the plague, three years after. He was completely freaked out that there was a biological pathogen, because, and rightly so. And Gibbs told him, if you're going to die, do it quietly. Um, because Tony was freaked out because of his experiences with the plague. And he kind of wasn't holding it together very well, which I thought was actually a little bit out of character. So Tony was completely freaked out on the Chimera about potentially being exposed to a biological pathogen. And yet on the... Um, and then yet he's like, oh, and he's so, you know, cavalier about going and investigating that s suspected plague thing in that first season of NCIS New Orleans. And he's just so, so, you know, uh, they send me out on these things. I get basically get hazard pay for it. It's no big deal. And Tony's like, you know, looking for rats on this ship that might be infected with plague. And it's like, because he, they say he might have immunity to plague because of, I was just like, this makes no sense. It makes no sense. He was written as like some kind of comic relief in the Chimera episode. Yes. Um, and it was it was not well done for either character because it made Gibbs look like a monster and it made Tony look like a neurotic mess who had no business being in the field. But the show isn't big on characterization being consistent anyway. But I mean, yes, there there are people who have that. I and I could I see the point that Tony could be like in that. There's a there's a movie that I can't remember what it's called where um, it focuses a lot of the movie from the point of view of the woman who goes through to do to mapping the outbreak. And I could see Tony being good at that, but I actually think that he doesn't have the right degree or the credentials to get into that kind of position. So it's not any kind of obvious move for Tony to go from canon to um, you know, trying to figure out disease clusters for, you know, virulent disease. Even, even if you could get past the fact that I think it would be very upsetting with his history. Um, 
If you wanted to move him more in the medical direction, I think you'd be better off trying to have him become a therapist or something. But uh, yeah, I think that one's an odd fit as an investigator for him because I don't see that he has the credentials medically to go to the CDC. And I don't think they would bring him in just because he'd had the plague before. You would have to do a lot of work. I mean, it would, it, it would honestly have to be an AU where he never even had the plague. <laughs> because yeah, he would need a lot of education that would take him out of NCIS before he ever got started. Yeah, he would have to have some understanding of virology and how and disease outbreak patterns and I mean he'd have to have a lot of education. He just even with his even with his PE degree, which has a lot, a physical education degree has a lot of anatomy and physiology in it, but even with that, he wouldn't really have the credentials to do this kind of work. Um, okay, so the there's a suggestion for Tony to go to warehouse thirteen. Um so the question is, would he be interested in warehouse drug I'm going to say no. Uh, this would be just my my gut is I don't see it just because. Um, it's it's kind of under my head, Cannon, that Tony is very focused on um, the lives and society as a whole being better. Mm-hmm. You know, he's and warehouse 13 is, is like, a, well, it's a big secret, um, but it is like a big secret like the SGC because their, um, their mandate is very small. Um, and yes, they, they have on occasions encounter objects that could have wrecked an immense amount of havoc and killed a whole bunch of people, but, um, it's different. Yeah. Now, yeah, he is a protect and serve kind of guy. Absolutely. If you wanted to go kind of a warehouse 13 ish type direction, the closest I could personally see, or even the closest I could get to even trying to plot would be that Tony gets tapped to be a librarian. Um, which is not Warehouse 13, it's the librarians. Um, but it's that similar vein-ish type thing, right? Uh, because it's still a kind of a save the world kind of thing, but I could see him more as a librarian than Warehouse 13. But I still think it's a strange fit. Yeah, it's a strange fit. I mean, yeah, it would be I, like, I, I think he could probably might be recruited to be a librarian's companion, you know, a protector yeah. kind of thing. Well, I've read actually I've read many of where his um his interests like there I, I think I'm gonna say it was like KSL who's like headcanon for Tony was that he was like into like you know classic Greek literature and architecture and, and he had all of these kind of obscure interests outside of work that like nobody knew mm-hmm. about unless you were invited into his life. Um, and I guess it's just that's kind of rolling around in the back of my brain, which is probably where the idea that he could get tapped to be a librarian came from. I personally wouldn't write it and wouldn't be interested in it. Um, I wouldn't either. But I see the librarian angle, but I also see this angle for him. He goes into this situation where there there, there are four other librarians um, and the guardian. Maybe the reason he gets recruited is because she's gone and he has a law enforcement background. Um, so he will be better able to protect the team in the events that something goes down. Um, but the other side of it is, is he would look at that and think they don't have a leader. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to step up and take over this because... <laughs> They're running around with little like little chickens with their heads cut off, and we just can't have that. <laughs> um, if Tony Stark recruited Tony Dinozo, I think he'd be recruiting him to do like profiling for corporate espionage, trying to find shield agents nested in his company. It wouldn't be to be as his PA. That might be a cover. 
It could be a cover, but it's not a good cover. Federal agent, it's a personal assistant. No. People would think it Tony was his fuck toy. Because that's that, that people would either assume that it was just a, it, people would either assume it was a cover or that it was a cover for Tony being his fuck buddy. Um, you know, honestly, I think a better cover would be like Tony leaves um, federal service and um, they that the public image is is that um, Denozo is just like um, his sugar baby. Yeah, that'd be a good cover. Um, now I did plot a story. You'll know what this prompt for what prompt this was for. Prompt we didn't want defusing, mm-hmm. which was that Pepper gets killed after the end of Iron Man three, and um, in the story I plotted for that, Tony Denozo knew Tony Stark in boarding school, and he comes to Pepper's funeral, and he and Tony get to talking, and he stays and helps Tony figure some of this stuff out, um, and then ultimately, of course, they fall into they get into a relationship. But Tony's function is, um, it's, it's actually he's sort of like a fixer in the company. He finds the problems in Stark Industries where, and problem by problems, I mean where Shield has their sticky little fingers, and finding corporate spies and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, if Tony coming in as his sugar baby would be, would be a hysterical You know, that's cover. not my fault. That, that's not my fault. I just actually read a story where Will Graham ends up being Hannibal Lecter's sugar baby. So <laughs> I really have ruined you, haven't I? Yes. It's a great story. It's the, it's the one I linked you. It's a kink. It's not like they, they have a kink that they kind of share where Hannibal enjoys pampering will and will enjoys having this this wealthy dominant man give him really pretty things so and it is tagged sugar daddy um for obvious reasons but uh, it's it's really good okay I'll, I'll i'll have to read this um so I could definitely see, I could see many ways. I, I could I, I could do a whole podcast of plots of ways that Tony Donozo and Tony Stark wind up in bed together. Seriously, it would it would not be a strain. Once I got into that, um, once, I, once I got in there, you know, it was. The, um, the, the, the series where Will ends up being Hannibal's sugar baby is called What Dreams? And there are two parts. Um. One called Consenting to Dream and one called A Remedy for Love. Um, and it's about 90K total. Um, and we'll put the link in the podcast library. And it's by, how do you say her name? Imangri? Imangri? Imangir? Imangir? Is that how you say it? It's I would say Imangir. It looks, it looks French to me, so I would say Imangir, but I don't actually know how that's pronounced. I'm putting the link in the chat in the um, podcast library. Um. Okay, so Tony, Tony, the Tony squared ship. I could go all in on that. I could, I could, I could plot a bazillion ways that Tony Tony Denosa winds up at Stark Industry under some other name than Tony because I cannot do Tony Tony. It's um, it's so weird. I wish they weren't named that. <laughs> yeah, but I wish one of them was not Tony. But, <laughs> I've already got a Dom and an Alex, so it's really not a problem, you know. Right. Um, and actually, if they met as kids, which in that story I'd plotted, um, 
when they talked, when they met his kids and they talked about, well, we can't both be Tony. And Tony Dinozo goes, well, you be Tony and, and I'll be Dominic. And he says, and, and Tony Stark asked him why and he says, well, because I don't like my father <laughs> and you know, I don't, I don't, you know, he can have it. He can have it. You, you be Tony. So, and so, you know, I set a foundation there that to, to Tony Stark, he's Dom and to, even to, even if to everybody else he's Tony. So anyway, I, I just I have to have a way for the name change. This just has to be. Okay, so um, apparently it's um, Italian. <laughs> well, there's more than one pronunciation because I'm looking at more than one pronunciation here. So this still didn't help. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, it was not helpful, guys. <laughs> um, okay, so. It's from the Latin, but anything from anything that's Italian or French would all be from ultimately from Latin. So, but that particular spelling is from the Latin, um, which is spelled slightly different. The Latin verb, the Latin. Obviously, word is, we're gonna have to like um, invite her onto the podcast and have her say her name for us. <laughs> Can you just send me an audio file saying your your name? I'd appreciate it. <laughs> It's from the Latin meaning, I wipe out or blow the nose. Oh, there is a pod fic for Blackbird. And Maybe, you... Go ahead. I say Imangere, but one one of these is would be Imangerie, and one of these would be Imangere. But, you know, there's more than one pronunciation I'm seeing, so I'm moving on. Um, Okay, the next thing that I see, actually, I'm just kind of skipping around in terms of the, um, oh, I just activated my screensaver. Um, okay, so Warehouse 13. Uh, moving that. Um, the Lightman Foundation from Lie to Me, where Tony didn't found his own organization. Tony and Cal, Cal would find it. Um, I never watched Lie to Me, so I would be. I think Tony would punch Cal Lightman in the face. I do think Cal would be. <laughs> I think he could get easily get himself arrested. Um, I think Cal Lightman is too much of a dick for Petoni Dinoza to put up with. Um, way too much of a dick. But I do think it could be interesting because I do think Tony could effectively lie to Cal. Um, but I don't see them actually working together in any meaningful way because I don't think Tony would tolerate him. Cal almost dehumanizes people, and I think that would be an anathema to Tony. I think he would hate him. He sounds terrible. But he could... Um, okay, Harris, you're right. Cal dehumanizes people. Uh, so I just don't see... But he could go into something like that. I mean, you could do a competitor thing where he... But the thing is, that kind of already exists. It's called Bull. Right? <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to get there. Because that sounds... You know, is he consulting? Like, what does he do? Yeah. Trial consultants, yeah. So anyway, uh, okay. But if you want to write a, sh a, st a show where Tony is recruited into that by Cal's partner, I can't remember her name, and then the day Tony meets Cal, he punches him in the face. I mean, I'd believe it. I'd totally believe he'd get recruited. I would totally believe the punch in the face, and then he's got to find a job again. So you'd be back at the beginning. Um, Move him out of the field and into being an instructor. He and Ian could be teacher. Ian, Ian, he and Ian could be teacher husbands. I mean, I read a really good fic once, where when I think it was a Tony Gibbs fic, 
Um, and they end up on separate teams. Um, because of their relationship or because of the bombing, when Tony comes back, he still wants his own team. Shepard gives it to him or something like that. I don't remember specifically. And he has all these trainees. He has, so she was trying, she said, okay, while we're getting your team together, while we're putting all that together, like all the paperwork and everything, I'm going to give you some people coming out of Fletzy and you can, you know, put them to their paces and then we'll move them on to different teams as teams open, you know, as positions open up. So he has the, these little ducklings that follow him around. And he teaches them a lot of things they did not learn in Fletzy. Like he takes them to a bar um, and teaches them how to um, be undercover and, and how to to act like they're not law enforcement when they're in a bar. And it was just a really good fit. And I wish I remembered the name of it, but I don't. I think he was, wasn't he also injured? Yeah, there was a paintball game. Yeah, I think it was a dead air fic. Someone said it was dead air, and I think it might have been. It was very good. He, um, it really sure. highlighted what he had to offer as um, an agent. Uh, it was very good. Yeah. I, I have read the story, but I can't I can't put it in context of what the rest of the story was. No, me neither. That part I, really stands out for me. I remember that. But if anybody can think of what story that is, drop it, drop a link in. Um, actually tag me when you drop the link so that I can, because sometimes I'm not looking in the chat room. Um, okay. Next suggestion. But um, I do think it's Tony and Gibbs, and I do think they end up together at the end. Yeah, I think they're together the whole time. I think that's why Tony winds up on his own team or something like that is because maybe because I felt like it was it too, or they were maybe, actually really maybe. relieved by it because it gave them an opportunity to not hide their relationship. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, you could definitely do Tony being an instructor. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways you could do that where he teaches people. Um, I've had him in teacher roles in a couple of, it is oh, it's called "You Have My Back Right" by Cats Meow, um, and it's it is on a dead fan, It's on fanfiction.net, and thank you, Dark Seraphina. It is 74k for those of you who um, like to pick your fix out by links. You got a little bit of time to sit down with some coffee and read something. It's not it's not a bad journey, but I really like that fix because it highlighted what he had to offer the agency, um, and. Um, I think it also has some like is is that the same fic where Tim gets punished by they make him work with the local police? Might be. And he learns exactly how fucked up what he did to Tony was. Yeah, I think and, that and is how it. much of a betrayal it was to leave him in the field without a part without backup. Yeah. This is definitely one of my favorite uh dead air fix is this one. Um post-ed error that's not my own because honestly my favorite post-ed error fix are mine just saying um and yeah and ziva <laughs> it never really learns from her mistakes in that fic but then i wouldn't expect her to um okay someone someone suggested the imf um i'll get that let's go back to the instructor thing in a minute the imf um which for the uninitiated is Mission Impossible, right? Yes, that's Mission Impossible. Um, I'm pondering. Um, I don't know that I would call that an aspir him as evidence of aspiration. Him going to the IMF, it feels very lateral because he's not going to be like running the team or anything. But honestly, I'm not sure that Ethan Hunt and Tony Dinozo's luck can can 
would would do anything that caused the world to explode. Those I mean, right? I'm I'm thinking if those two were to meet, there would it it would probably end in a black hole. Yeah, those I mean, two, their their luck is terrible, especially their luck with betrayal. Those two really shouldn't occupy the same space. It'd be uh, <laughs> right. Like, it's It'd just be not like, a good idea. It's just like. I've mentioned like way back, way back probably a long time ago, I mentioned that I used to have, I don't know what it was, something about me at that time and our QA lab meant that things would go wonky with the test equipment when I would walk in the lab. And like nobody else had to wear a grounding strap except for me. And I kid you not, I would walk in and one of the engineers would perk up and go, did Jilly just walk in? And it would be like, motherfucker. And he'd be like, would you put that damn grounding strap on? And to me, this is, it would be like that. It'd be like those two would get close to each other and people would like separate them quickly. I can almost feel terrorists waking up right now. It's just, you know, I feel like somebody's building a nuclear bomb somewhere because they're too close to one another. It's just, <laughs> would Tony be a valuable asset for somebody like Ethan? Absolutely. Is it a good idea to have those two in proximity to one another? Absolutely not. <laughs> and also, I don't think Tony would tolerate Ethan's... Um, I think one of the reasons why he would leave NCIS is because he couldn't handle Gibbs' um, behavior. And Ethan is Gibbs' behavior times 10. In a lot of ways, yeah. Just without, I think, the emotional manipulation. He's not... I don't think he gaslights people, really. But he just... Yeah, I think it'd be, I don't think it would, it's something you could try, but man, I just, I'm telling you, I think that, I think that the universe would be doomed. Okay, uh, somebody asked, what about the Blacklist? I've not watched the Blacklist. I have, I've seen, a, I've seen like two seasons of the Blacklist, and I tell you, Tony would shoot Raymond Reddington in the face. <laughs> he might, he might punch Cal Lightman, but he'd just shoot. Raymond Reddington. That's just that's my that's the way I look at it. I think that he would get tired of Red's games. I don't think he would tolerate that bullshit for a second. Um, I think the fact that the FBI puts up with it would drive him crazy. I think him getting recruited into that program. I just it, it's crazy. It's just crazy. I, I do. I yeah. The kind of manipulation Red pulls. It is too close to senior. It is. Um, I um I. For me, I think Tony Dinozo is honest is too honest for a lot of these situations. Yeah, yeah, I just you can't really put him in a game in a situation like the blacklist where they're dancing to this guy's tune and he's manipulating them and they've got a serious criminal on the street that they're that because of the info I I think Tony would find that intolerable. Um, I just don't think he would agree to put up with it. And if he found himself the target of you know, Red's machinations, even if Red liked him and was ultimately protecting him, I think it would drive, I think he would quit working before he'd let himself in federal service before he let himself be played that way. Red's too manipulative, I think, to occupy. Not that Tony can't manipulate sometimes, but I think fundamentally he prefers to just be honest. Um, and I think that was the real, that was the hardest part of the Jean Benoit situation because she was innocent. In her father's activities and Shepard pushed him into a role where he was the villain in her life mm -hmm. 
And Tony didn't want to sleep with her, but he told Shepard, I'm at the point where, you know, she wants to move this forward. And Jenny is like, well, don't you think she's attractive? You know, don't you think you. So she pushed him into sleeping with this woman. Um, and honestly, from a legal perspective, it's rape. He was in her bed under false pretenses. Yeah. He lied to her repeatedly. He manipulated her. He slept for her. He slept with her for his, he fucked her for his job, which makes him a whore and her a victim. Well, he didn't sleep with her until he, he had fallen in love with her, which put him in an even worse position because he held off. And then Paula died and he went all in on the relationship with Jean. And then when she asked him, did, was any of it real? He lied to her, which he probably thought it was a kindness to lie to her and say no so that she could walk away. But what he should have, the kind thing would have been to admit the truth is that he was in love with her. That would have been kind. I agree. It was not a kindness. It was not a kindness. It was one of the harshest moments I've seen for his character. Um, It was ugly. Um, Somebody asked about the Phoenix Foundation. I think Tony could be in the Phoenix Foundation. I actually wrote a short where he is in the Phoenix Foundation. Um, and he gets it on with Jack Dalton. Not mad. Um, that's on my site. I think it's called Out. Anyway. Um, it's a little bit, I think anything that is like deep covert stuff, I personally find to be an odd fit for Tony. Um, just personally. Not that he can't do intelligence and that kind of thing. I've talked about how I do see him as being... Um, I do see him as being a um, good at intelligence and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, organizations with charters like the CIA or um, like the Phoenix Foundation would be where he's constantly having to lie about what he, you know, well, even in intelligence, he'd have to lie, but lie about even who he works for. Um, Okay. It's, It's just... It's a little. I, I don't. Know, I don't know why. I mean, the the point of this podcast is ambition and seeing him advance in his career. I don't think um, stepping back into a civilian job as a cop. I mean, you know, as a cop versus federal service would be on par with that ambition. He's already done the cop thing. He's been through several departments. He has all that experience. He's been a federal agent for a number of years. Um, so he should be looking up. Not unless you unless you bring him in like he's a little bit later in his career and you're bringing him in like as a chief of police or something right which can actually be a little bit difficult because if they're not pro- lack of promotion from within and in many departments can be harsh, harsh. It, could, it could make it really hard for him to get accepted um somebody asked about jack ryan from the amazon prime series i would never put tony at the cia ever yeah no not no. even in the not even in the jack ryan verse which i really like um he really should have wrote a memo. Yeah, he really should have wrote a memo. Why didn't Absolutely. Why didn't I? Memo. Why, next time, Jack, write a goddamn memo. A memo. Um, <laughs> uh, they blew up his car. <laughs> There's no getting over that. I mean, unless they give him his car back, and then he would be like, this isn't my car. This is a car that looks like my car, but it's not my car. Well, conceivably, you could get him out before, but I just think the nature of the CIA would just be 
No. Somebody asked about SWAT. I actually, now I've only seen like the first season of SWAT. Um, not even, maybe not even all the first season because I got a little bit bored with it. But because um, I didn't like the guy that they had opposite Shamar Moore, the younger guy. I didn't like him at all. But um, um, I'm all in on Tony being SWAT. It's just, it's, I just don't find it to be in line with the whole ambition thing. Yeah, the guy playing Jim Street, I didn't, I, I, I just didn't resonate with him as a character. I just, he was really irritating. So, um, being SWAT isn't, it's not even a lateral move. I'm not sure what it is. It's, it's, it, but it's, I don't know that, do you think, do you think becoming SWAT is, is finding his ambition? Some people I might don't. consider, some people might consider SWAT an ambitious move, but. And look, if you're, if, if you're already in that department and you're moving up, yeah, but, um, to go back in as a rookie SWAT? No. Because he has to start at the beginning again. I just don't see it as being a good move for him. Um, okay. Uh, somebody asked that. There's an interesting one. Somebody asked about him going into music. I actually think this could be really interesting because um, if you have like the headcanon that I do that Tony's actually an exceptional piano player, um, you could even do something where he's been in music all along. Maybe he does music under another name and maybe he's somewhat successful at it. And like he's composing, writing songs and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a kind of a loose idea at one point where he actually had several um, albums out of piano music, contemporary piano or jazz piano or something out um, already. Um, but they weren't under his, and, and Morrow knew about it, but they weren't under his, you know, he, he, he was using a pseudonym for his um, music and so when he's considering what he's going to do if he wants to to leave um you could write something where he becomes a famous concert pianist so that kind of really takes off from there um yeah he could start doing movie soundtracks that could be and if he gets really well known and he really embraces that it could really uh fit in with the theme of him finding his ambition As, you know because especially if he becomes famous if, he, if it really becomes a career and like he goes on tour or something you could write a really interesting story that way and it could put him if he's like on tour as a concert pianist um he could come into the sphere of interesting people in other countries um as a writer i've written two where tony's a writer uh, they're both available somewhere. Um, well, two that are available somewhere. There's two. Um, the first one is Beautiful Decline, and he's a professional writer in that. Both of them the same thing, which is that he writes true crime novels kind of thing. Um, and I think it would actually be funny for him to like to outsell McGee yeah. and not even tell anybody and it comes out. <laughs> yeah. and it Well, in... Um, in Overqualified, he's a writer. And one of the things that he, in, in the next part of Overqualified, when Noah, at Noah, and he is sitting down to have a beer because Noah's freaked out, and Noah's trying to chill out. And he just asked Tony, he says, you know, you said you became a spite writer. What was that all about? He's like, well, there's this guy that I used to work with who used me as fodder, you know, for real person fan fiction. And um, I decided to take up writing, but writing is out of spite, but I don't really enjoy it actually all that much. And so, you know, I've got a ghostwriter now, but um, yeah, I outsell them all the time. 
but I just don't actually want to be a writer. So, <laughs> but in Beautiful Decline, so that's he explains to know that he, he became a spite writer, but it's really not his jam. But he's got plenty of material for books. Um, and then uh, Beautiful Decline, I is beautiful. Beautiful decline is on is on Evil Author Day. Thank you, Lady Holder. For some reason, I thought it was on Wild Hair, but it's not. So, in both of those, he's a writer. So you could definitely go the writer route. It's it's a weirder fit for Tony, I think, in general, but not not impossible because he's got a good gift for gab. It just all depends on what kind of writing he's doing. Although you it could be have him be as a script writer. Maybe he's been doing script writing for years and he has an agent who handles his things and um, it comes out because he wins an Oscar for best original screenplay. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. He gets nominated for an Oscar and he's like, this was not supposed to happen. What the hell? I love that. Like, no one really pays attention to who's writing the scripts, right? He can even be doing it under his own name because no one really pays attention to it. Right. I well, couldn't tell you who wrote the scripts of some of my favorite movies. And maybe no one's really even paying attention to it or assuming that it couldn't possibly be the same Anthony Dinozo that they know and not worrying about it. And then he gets nominated for an Oscar and his agent's like, I, th I think you're actually going to have to go because I think you're actually going to win. And like, nobody knows who he is until he steps out on stage to accept his award. Everybody's like, whoa, mama, he's hot. Why is <laughs> like, he even in front of the camera? <laughs> are, you are you sure? And then it would writer? like, it would snowball. It, it, it would snowball. It would actually probably ruin his career in law enforcement, but um, well, he oh, definitely totally. could not still be undercover anymore. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be really interesting if, if he like was, you know, maybe he writes a lot, you know, um, uh, kind of like, really classy obscure movies and one of them wins an oscar you know limited release kind of movies yeah independent films you know he's always attracting these artsy directors and then they then he gets one that actually and he's just and he's known to be that eccentric screenwriter who won't come to the set and you know any 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 rewrites have to be done remotely and and there's some maybe somebody else who handles most of his rewrites and he doesn't he doesn't get involved somebody his agent has to do with them or whatever tony will consult and the age the other guy does the rewrites and and that he's just known for that i don't think i think because of his undercover bit stuff he would not actually use his real name but then he'd have to decide do you i go accept the accept the award or not what a weird moment um so that could be really interesting he accidentally finds his ambition um, and anyway, I think he would have to make a decision. Do I go accept this Oscar um, and reveal who I am? Because it's clear that, that, that his character really, really loves movies. Um, and maybe it's post, um, maybe it's just short of dead air or just after dead air when it happens. And he, you know, he's recognizing that Gibbs doesn't have his back and he's not safe in the field with McGee and Ziva, and then here's his agent telling him he's about to win an Oscar. That there, that the odds are in his favor that he's going to win an Oscar for best, best original screenplay. And then he becomes Hollywood's darling because he's charming. He's got a beautiful smile. He's beautiful. Um, he's funny. He's intelligent, and he writes beautiful screenplays. Maybe he writes under the name Dominic Paddington. That would work. Middle name, mother's mother's maiden name. Maiden name. Maiden name. 
Okay, so I like that. I like that as ambition. He finds his ambition because he looks at you. He goes, you know, I got this. I got this shit going on here at NCIS, and here's this all this potential here. Fuck that. Um, okay, so another suggestion was ATF. Um, yeah, I definitely think I think any most of the agencies that don't deal directly with where their main charter isn't like the CIA's, I think you could do a tr him coming in as a, like a team lead and then, you know, give him a better environment and he works his way up into special agent in charge or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I were to do ATF, I would definitely do mag seven because otherwise there's just not a lot of familiar faces there. And Michael Bean. <laughs> and Michael Bean. Right. Right. Michael Bean. And Eric Close. Let's not mm. forget Eric Close. Mm. Um, it only gets better. It only gets better. And Anthony Starkey. I mean, there's just there's a lot of pretty in Mag 7. So, yeah, if I were to do it that way, that's where I would go. I wouldn't do Eureka with Tony. It's too cracky, personally. I personally would do it. I mean, I, I actually didn't enjoy Eureka. I watched one season and I was like, no. <laughs> also, I don't see how it's him finding his ambition. Because it's 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 moving into it. It's a big secret, but not a big secret that he can actually really grow in, I don't think. Depending upon where you put it in Eureka, and like I said, I just. But, but I, I also, also only watched two seasons of um, Warehouse Thirteen, so because I just can't handle that kind of. It's just a little too crappy for me. It was fun, but it, for me, for me, for Tony, it's, it'd be it'd be like a crack fest. And if now, if you wanted to write a crack fest, but it's not, it's not, it's not that you couldn't put in there. And we actually have a, a Eureka in the relay, but it's not that you couldn't put in there or have him be recruited. But even the relay came out totally cracktastic. I mean, delightfully cracktastic. Yeah, yeah cracktastic. It was definitely the word to use for it. Um, delight. It was definitely delightfully cracktastic. But so it's. I just. It's. I find it, in terms of the ambition thing, I don't see where the ambition would come into it if he went somewhere like Eureka. The I mean, Eureka is where he ends up if he is forced to leave federal service because he took an injury, but he can still do law enforcement, and he ends up in Carter's department, very much like he would end up in Noah's and Team Wolf. Or he's in the witness protection program, and they put oh, yeah. him in Eureka. It's yeah, like, that well, would do it. You know, I mean, but that's still not ambition. So, no. and I have the same issue with um, the mental. The mentalist, there's no ambition for him there at all. You you could put him one. I mean, the only in, real ambition would be um, how fast he could get in that guy's bed. Right. I'm just saying. So it's not, uh, it doesn't, there's no, there's nowhere really, moving to the California Bureau of Investigations is not a particularly ambitious move for, for It's him. not a step up. To go, from a, to go from a federal agency to a state agency is not a step up. Unless he were going into a very senior position in a federal, that, in, that, in that state agency, mm -hmm. but in, it still is a little bit me um yeah i bet he'd be very attractive to a state agency like that mm -hmm. yeah i i think he absolutely would be and they probably would give him i mean it's one of those things it's sort of like if you're like a you know a mid to senior level manager at a big company you can go into like a directorship or assistant directorship or vice presidency at a smaller company it's that kind of move so it could be an ambitious move in that and you know people do move their career that way and if they do very well as an a, a vice you know junior vice president at the smaller company like very well and they get promoted then they go back to a bigger company and now they're in a vice president at the big company and people make these kinds of moves but i think it's a little bit harder to do that in law enforcement yeah so in i did a short with her where 
um, Tony ends up a special agent in charge in Hawaii at Pearl um, because Vance didn't like him. And so Steve said, so he promoted you out of his face? And Tony was like, yep. <laughs> we could do a lot of different crossovers with Tony. The point being is, is would this move, yeah, it's called Way the Hell Out at Pearl. Would this move be an improvement over his current circumstances, both professionally and personally? Now, if you want him to, he could find his ambition to go be, you know, a world famous cake maker is more ambitious than making a lateral move into state service or um, going to work, you know, in, in corporate security. And those are not ambitious moves. So um, it'd be more ambitious for him to open his own restaurant, frankly. When you think about people, somebody wanting to be their own boss and own their, make their own restaurant and pursue their passion, that is an ambitious move, even if it's not necessarily on his typical career trajectory but it's not finding his ambition to say go be a police officer in hawaii and that's finding his that's finding dick it's not finding his ambition unless his ambition is to get dick unless his ambition is just to be really happy with a navy seal right <laughs> which is Friend. a perfectly reasonable ambition tony auditions for the great british bake-off <laughs> Um, let's see. Somebody asked about blind spot. Um, that's FBI, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a case of that's a case of it's. I think it's another case of another potential crossover, like a team to put him with. Um, I don't know where the ambition would come in unless he was like the head of the team. He was the head of the unit, in which case he would already have to be at the FBI. Steve names his dick ambition. Um. <laughs> I mean, I do think Tony would do, would be interesting on that team. Like sometimes I, like sometimes I think about some shows and um, I think, no, I have like a hard no, that doesn't make any sense. But I think Tony could be interesting with the blind spot team. It's just, I just don't see it as in a particularly ambitious move. Um, so, I said, you know, so there, are, we, we could go through how to get him on like any particular crossover. I could plot him into almost any crossover but the question is what does ambition look like for somebody like tony and i think for somebody like tony what would spark his ambition is he would have to feel like he was really able to really make significant impact and improvement for people by making this move and that and that it enables him to do better and to do more because i think that that's the way he is right um now, I do wind up. I did plot a story where Tony winds up with a ba a, a, a kid, and um, he um, it's not a secret baby. He knows the kid is coming, and he doesn't want to. He need, he's a single parent, and he can't have the kind of risk that he's got on kids' team, especially since he gets injured so much. And so he decides that he's going to take control of destiny. And he's like, he calls Mike Wepler and says, do you have a spot for me? And Mike's like, well, thank fuck. I've been trying to recruit you for years. And he ultimately winds up becoming the head of the cold case unit at NCIS, which is a huge unit. Um, but you could do something similar where he winds up, you know, the head of the cold case unit at um the FBI or something like that and makes a significant contribution. There, there is one where he does end up, I think with cold cases with the FBI and Tim ends up with him. It's written in, um, I'm pretty sure it was cold cases that they ended up in. Um, 
it was written in this it was, it was written in present tense and not something I would normally read. And um it's dead air fic where Tim says no and warns Tony. And when Z when Gibbs backs Ziva up instead of Tony and Tim, they leave and go to the FBI. Now, I think yeah, they I end up in cold you. case there. I can I can actually think of the author's name. Um, and I don't only read first person work, not first person work. I read first person work. I don't read present tense work. Um, and yet, should, and yet, it was it's called be, it's called being true. I got the link for that one, but I didn't think it was present tense. So I thought this is not the one. But there was it was something about it that was off putting, and I don't remember what it was. And not something I'd normally read, but I did read a first person fic like that, not first person present tense fic. And I find present tense agitating, even when the craft is good. Most of the time, it makes me very nervous, and like there's an urgency in present tense tense fic that really um, agitates my anxiety and exceeds my medication. <laughs> First person, I'm, there's like one first person present tense story that I'll read. and Well, two. There's two. Um, one from back in my, what's it called, days. Um, no, this this is, I, I enjoy this one being true, but this is not the one that I'm thinking of. Because the one I'm thinking of was definitely written in present tense. I remember you and I talking about it. And I said, how dare you give me a link on present tense? And you were like, oh, Yeah. Because you didn't, because you don't read present tense either, as a rule, right? Oh. Um, and we were both kind of horrified ourselves for enjoying it, whatever it was. But the one that, the one that where they go to the FBI together, Tim and Tony, mm -hmm. and and Tim stands up for Tony and reports mm -hmm. the problem with Ziva. That is being true. Okay. Jay Lankra, Lankra. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, that's in the link library. But the one that's written in first per, the one that's written in um, present tense. I don't remember which one that is. But we, remember, did have, but we did have that conversation, right? I'm not, I'm not uh, losing my mind. Because no, I linked you and you said, and you said, this is present yeah. tense. I said, is it? She enjoyed it so much that she kind of forgot that it was present tense. I was like, okay, fine. I'll give it a read. And it was like, okay, that, that was some good shit. I feel like that was dead air too. It might have been. It was dead air as well. And it was like, it was from Tim's point of view. We go sometimes we go deep. We sometimes we go deep on an episode tag, and Dead Air is one of those episode tags that we'll go deep on. Um, but yeah, I was startled because uh, present, like I said, present tense often makes me really um, psych psychologically uncomfortable because it's like I got this urgency in it, and I fidget, and it's just I, I can't handle it. But I really enjoyed that fic. It's not uncommon for me to switch accidentally into present tense when I'm writing action scenes. It really irritates the fuck out of me. But there's something about the visualizing it in my head that just, I switch yes, my verbs. Susan. They end up in the FBI basement, Susan. No, that's the one where the dead air fix that we just talked about, where they end up in yeah. the FBI basement. Which is called Being True, and, and that's in the link library. Um I can't remember the other one. I'm just blanking on that. It's, present, just, it's on gone. That one. It's gone. But um, I read I, a lot, so I get things confused. And they yeah, get we, confused together. 
especially when you read multiple tags that are for basically the same thing. And I was all in on a, I, I was all in on dead air for like a whole year. I read things I'm honestly ashamed of. <laughs> right there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Night eating, Def definitely, definitely. Night dark. Are all our bitches leaving? Night, guys. But I am not ashamed of any of my Hannibal reading so far. No. <laughs> um, here's a so, so something that um, the one I the one we still have pending, as far as I know, is the instructor one we talked about a little bit. So I was trying to think because I've been noodling it in the back of my mind is how do we take it becoming an instructor as a sign of as 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 an ambitious path, and. Um, I think it depends on his circumstances. Like if he's been, if like, say if you take it post dead air, um, mm -hmm. maybe he's injured during dead air. Um, and it takes him, it, he, he knows he can no longer work in the field and he's, he's evaluating his circumstances and options. And maybe he's being, you know, offered a couple of different things um, from different people who, who are on board with the fact that he's not going to be able to go back into the field because of what they did to him. Gibbs probably isn't on board with it. Probably trying to force him back onto the team because he, he's a bull. Right. Um, but um, it would be interesting if like, okay, you know, there were, there were a lot of different options on the table. And instead of looking at like his professional ambition, he looks at his personal ambition, um, which is, you know, that he finally makes a decision that will make him happy that he considers his happiness first. His happiness and his comfort, where he'll get the most security. And maybe there's somebody at um, the FBI Academy or at Fletzy or wherever you end up having him go to be an instructor whom he can trust, who he knows well. I wonder who that could be. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> I like I like the idea of him having a um a going for personal ambition like what's gonna make me happy and that could be the kind of path where he winds up a personal ambition where he winds up going fuck it I'm gonna go open a restaurant or I'm gonna open up well, a cafe that is a, that is the point you dream a little bigger because what if yeah. you dreamed of having a really good solid relationship yeah someone he could depend on someone someone who's home with him someone who who you know, has that moment where he realizes, you know what, actually, I want to be in love and I want to be loved back. And I would really like to have some super regular sex. <laughs> and maybe run a coffee bar in Hawaii. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But sometimes big dreams have small consequences. And sometimes mm -hmm. small dreams have big consequences. And they take you to Hawaii. Or to the FBI Academy where you're getting banged by their sniper instructor on a regular basis. I mean, whatever gets you through your day. Right. Maybe Ian's out of the field too because he's taken one too many shots. And he doesn't think he can do it again. Maybe he's on he's on a hunt and he doesn't take the shot. And maybe he thinks that his his judgment is a little off. So he's like, okay, I'm done with this. What if he takes the shot when he's not sure he should have? Right. Something and like that. Goes, something that would like, something that would shake him up a him. little bit. Yeah. yeah, rattle him a little bit and say, okay. So he goes into the FBI Academy and he's teaching and he hears about Tony who's been injured um, while on the job because his, his team 
turned off their fucking radios and he reaches out and says, Hey buddy, how you doing? And there ends up being a position um, at the Academy where that Tony's perfect for. I've often thought that there needs to be I plotted one or two um, where Tony just can't do field work again after dead air, because I do think it's an underexplored, but realistic consequence of that particular situation. Because if you are undercover, which he was, and you find out your backup deliberately cut communication, I don't know how the anxiety would not eat you up every time you went in the field after that. I don't know how it wouldn't consume you. And the only time I've ever seen this addressed is in a story by, I want to say it's by Shade Shifter, but it might be by Tiptoe Twirl, um, which is where Tony is working as a private investigator in Hawaii. And I've read this. I've read it good? this. And he is in a relationship with Steve and he helps out the 5-0 team from time to time. And then Gibbs and company, wind up they wind up all colliding on a case that touches both 5-0 and a case that Tony had as a PI and the NCIS team and Tony has to go undercover. And one of the things he asked Chen to do is please keep talking to me the whole time. So Tony's got his earwig in and it was so it was this little subtle thing. It wasn't even really discussed, but he just says, I need you to keep talking to me. Just keep talking. And, and Tim, I think Tim asks about that or makes a face. He questions it. Yeah and Chen says when you give the undercover exactly what he needs to feel safe. Exactly. When the guy undercover gets what he needs and um, he keeps talking to Tony, he talks to him the whole time he's in. And that's and... when Tim realizes what a fuck up he was. Mm -hmm. And it was just this beautiful little moment. It was a great story overall, but it's this beautiful little moment in that story. And it's the, one of the only times I've seen it addressed. It's the only time, I can, only time I can actually think of where I've seen it addressed in story. There may be others, but I haven't read every NCIS story. Um, thank you, JLR. It's called How to Court an Emotionally Guarded Ex-Federal Agent in Five Steps. And it's called The Altering Destiny Series, and it is by Shade Shifter. That's not, su not surprising. That's by Shifty. Um and this is, I think this this is a series that, this is a story that made me want to write Steve Tony. Um, I think this was my first mothership story. Yeah. And she says in her note right there in the summary, I cannot believe that this pairing doesn't exist somewhere since this has been sitting on my hard drive in one form or another for about a year. It's even the same universe. It is. This is why we're all surprised the pairing didn't already exist. Um, but anyway, it's just... There's there would be a realistic consequence to if Tony chooses to continue to ever to ever go undercover undercover again after that, it would be immense. And I would like a fic where maybe Gibbs does brush it aside or, or makes it go away and Tony accepts it, but then there comes an opportunity and they need another undercover uh, another undercover situation and Tony refuses. Like, look, you know, we work through it, right? You made it all go away. You made it all better. But I don't trust either one of these motherfuckers. And I'm not going into the field with them. I don't trust them I, to have my I back. will not do undercover work with them. And Gibbs has to bring in maybe Balboa's team to be Tony's backup. Because he refuses to use to allow Tim nor Ziva to be his backup in the field. Though honestly, if he feels that way, I don't know why he'd be on the team anyway. <laughs> it was just like. I would like them to know that he doesn't trust them is what that boils down to. That's id fic. That's id fic right there. I would like him to say, you know what? No, I don't trust you to have my back. 
But honestly, he shouldn't be on the team with them at all if he doesn't trust them to have his back. And I don't know how he could after Dead Air. No. Even though he wasn't, he wasn't injured at all in Dead Air, you know, it, there were no consequences. Um, there could have been. And that should have been enough. Yeah. He, it, to, Dead Air should always be the straw that broke the camel's back. It is always so hard when Tony is there after Dead Air. Because it just... Maybe after Dead Air, he transfers to a different, or he gets his own team. Maybe that's how Vance makes it go away. Because Tony is trying to, you know, and he says, okay, if I give you your own team, let you pick your own people, will you back off this? Because his father is a freaking admiral and her dad is the head of Mossad. And he agrees. And he gets his own team. But then there comes a situation where he has to work with Gibbs' team and he refuses to work with Ziva and Tim undercover. That feels better in my brain. Yeah. Now there is one of my stories. If this is all told from Steve's point of view, and Danny's the one who tells Steve this, but one of my 2K shorts, I think, um, Steve is not sure why Tony won't just make the move. And Danny tells him it's because after the events of Dead Air, that Vance tried to position it as being Tony's problem. Tony was the reason why there had been this breakdown of the team. And Seknav told Vance to put up or shut up. So Tony got his own team to prove that Tony wasn't the problem. And that's what he was doing. That's why he, and he didn't want to burden Steve with that. So he is basically, you know, going balls to the wall at NCIS to prove that he's not the issue. And Gibbs' team, in the meanwhile, has fallen apart, and Tony's team has got the highest solve rate at NCIS. And then the bombing happens. And that's when Tony agrees to go to... And that's where it was Kira's fault. Because she said something... Credit, down a, not blame. Yes, total, but no, I'm not blaming. Because you said, you said on a podcast one night, she said, I want a story where Steve just goes to DC and takes Tony home with him. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, it was a little short. It was a little short. Which one was that? It's called, um, I wrote one too. It's called Ascendant. <laughs> you wrote a much longer one. Mine, yeah, I, mine, did. I think mine is like literally 2000 words. Um, I know the word words is in the title. <laughs> That doesn't help, does it? I'm looking yeah. up the title of I'm looking up the title of it. It is called The Actual Words. And I'll get you the link. Also, I have so many so many tabs open now that Okay, so um the other thing, I have one weird idea. Spite ambition. I kind of alluded to spite ambition about the thing about Tony becoming a spite writer. What if Tony became a spite sniper? <laughs> why can't he do both why not why not but in that's it for the win right there that, that, is that he blows through infic. all of Gibbs's records yeah but in um in daring ian knows tony's a, he's like why haven't you kept up your stripe sniper certification and <laughs> spitener <laughs> and <laughs> And Tony has, he's just not been doing it because he, he, and I believe that this is kind of canon that Tony, I guess that's what I saw in him is that he started kind of dumbing down his own achievements to let other people shine. And what if he was dumbing down his achievements with firearms because of Gibbs, his ego? Well, I would think that would be actually perfectly reasonable. Right? 
And so what if he decides, what if he gets like fed up with this shit and he decides he's going to get back his sniper certification and he's going to blow Gibbs out of the fucking water. And he calls up his buddy Ian and he says, Ian, how do you get some sniper rifle time in? I, I need to, I need to move. I need to get to my ranking back and I, and I need to move up in the ranking quite a bit. You want to help me? Ian's like, yes, yes, I do. I really, really do. <laughs> I, Despite, you know, something that people talk about and they say you should do things for healthy reasons. Sometimes spite can get you quite far. And, and then you spite can sometimes be the healthy choice. Yes. And sometimes you do it out of spite and then you get to a better place because of your spite. And then you find the healthy thing that you're doing. But, you know, sometimes spite does get you there. I'm just saying. Yes. In react, uh, Does he do something in spite or out of spite and react? I used to... Um... I used I, I I have this icon. Um, oh yes, he has sniper certification in React. Yes, that's true. And he's icon working... for. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say he. Somebody mentioned that in React he's a sniper. Yes, he is in. Um... Oh, did he do it to Spike Gibbs in that story? See, I forgot what I even wrote because I wrote React <laughs> a long time ago. You guys saw it. You guys saw it like a couple years after I wrote it, and I you guys saw it like a couple years ago, so that was a long ass time ago. Yeah, because he was mad about because Gibbs wouldn't let him take time off to be with Claudia at the end of her life, and so Tony decided to, you know, get better than Gibbs as a sniper. That's true. I've forgotten about that. Nice memory, Penumbria. Nice memory. <laughs> so I, it's I bad have, when your readers remember your bet your um your shit better than you do. But it's true. There, I've had I've I've been looking for stories of sometimes and it turned out to be mine. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to read that. Oh wait, somebody goes, didn't you write that? I was like, oh, right. What's worse anyway. when you see somebody subscribe? I'm um, describing something on a thick finder site. You think, oh, that sounds really great, and then you go in and somebody's found it. It's your shit, and you're like, well, you're fuck like, it, damn it, damn it. <laughs> it what? You're like, well, it is really great, but now it's I don't not have to new. <laughs> now I don't have anything new to read. Yes, that's exactly. So I've I've had Tony motivated by spite a few times, and I, but I haven't had Tony motivated by spite really that gets him in Ian's pants. So, and Ian could be all, you know, since you're feeling spiteful enough to do this, are you feeling spiteful enough to leave NCIS? Maybe go do some fugitive recovery with me. Maybe it's feeling, entirely you, possible, right? Will your spite take you that far? And Tony's like, no, but your dick might. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm honest. Anyway, what were you saying before I got diverted by what was in React? Oh, I was saying I used to have a little icon on Facebook that said 99% of everything I do is motivated by spite. And then in parentheses, I had porn. <laughs> and porn. <laughs> and porn. And you you do have a banner that says that you're 95% caffeine and 5% yeah. spider. Or is it the other way around? Because it doesn't, either way, it, it, the math works. I think I was 95% caffeine and and 5% spite or something like that. Anyways. I mean, that's, I don't think we could deal with you if you were 95% spite. It depends on the day. I don't think we could deal with you if you were 95% spite. <laughs> and the cycle of the moon <laughs> and, and my own cycle. <laughs> there are days she may have been 95% spite, but it could have been that I was in my blanket fort and I was avoiding her. <laughs> Because I could tell she was 95% spiked. 
Like some days you check on the messages in the in the chat and you go, oh, this is not going to be a good day. <laughs> not going to be a good day. I need all the penguins. I need all the penguins. I need. I definitely need to get me a penguin. I need to get me an emotional support penguin. I feel like I need a penguin too. You know, to go with my minions. Did you get your gallbladder? <laughs> I do not want a stuffy gallbladder. I was actually relieved to be free of my gallbladder. I don't need any reminders of that year because, oh my god, it was terrible. I have to. Well, I have to admit, what led up to me losing, having my thymus resected, was terrible. But I find having my stuffed thymus on my dresser to be funny as fuck. <laughs> so, but yes, we all need. We all need. A, we all need a penguin. We all need an emotional support penguin. Just because so, I was the source of it doesn't mean I don't need one of my own. I have needs. Obviously, I have penguin needs. <laughs> Although, what was that damn gif? One of my favorite penguin gifts is the one little penguin's walking by. And he walks by this obviously evil penguin who knocks him off into the water. Favorite gif ever. Do you remember this gif? I think it was Reaper who put this in chat one night. Um, dude, it nearly did me in. I'm sitting there going, what? What? Yeah, that one, Lady Holder. It's my favorite. That one is hysterical. The, do you remember this one? <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's really adorable. I don't know what that's from, but it's adorable. I don't know what it's from either, but it's just like, it's like, I need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that critter that is, but it, it, <laughs> it needs a hug. <sighs> I'm not evil. Y'all think my rough drafts on Rough Trader are my rough drafts. No, my rough drafts are hot. My real rough drafts are hot mess. <laughs> my rough drafts on Rough Trade are my rough drafts. I mean, you know, saying I, I do do a spell check. But otherwise, yeah, that, that's my rough draft. I don't think honestly, that, my real rough draft is my zero draft. So Yeah, true. But my rough draft on rough, on rough trade is my rough draft. But the difference is I don't let myself skip stuff when I do my rough draft on rough trade. And I do skip stuff when I rough draft. So it is not uncommon mm. for me to leave out the sex scene. Yeah, I mean, there's going to come a day, probably sometime soon, where you'll see insert sex scene in, in my ship because I haven't just been in the mood to write sex. But earlier when you were talking about um, accidentally slipping into present tense during action scenes, I do I, um, I do that during sex scenes. Mm. Yeah. Pretty much anything with it. It can happen anytime where there's just more going on, where, people, where the characters are doing things that are very dynamic, which could be sex. Um, although I usually, often lately, I'm writing the sex scenes later, so that's not as big a deal. But if I'm writing them at the time, or if it really is like I'm in the zone with a sex scene, it can be a present tense type situation. And then it's really annoying in the edits because it's like, oh, look at that. But. Um, um, but with, yeah, so with my, my rough drafts of my work have more stuff that's missing. It's the same kind of thing. It's just like when I do rough, rough trade, I don't let myself skip anything. I put it up, I put it up, you know, put it all in there. But it, it's not uncommon for me if I'm just like writing on my own to have insert sex scene, you know, Speaking or whatever. Of rough trade, we're on day six of signups and signups in the 15th. Um, and I printed out my zero draft for my project for 
um, rough trade. And I have 70 plot points. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I can see 75k. 75-80k. And I have... Let's see. I'll give a reference here. I have 90 on my Quantum Bang. I had 123 or 135 or something like that on my Quantum Bang last year. My goal is 75k, but it's, you know, it's Harry Potter, so... <laughs> Go big or go home. I mean, <laughs> you're welcome, Ellie. I've also decided on my projects for next year for Sentinels of it, for the Sentinel, the year of the Sentinel. I'm going to do the sequel to Gravity in um, April. Uh, I'm definitely doing one mothership in July, and um, I'm going to do a Rule 63 with McKay and Shepard in. Um, November. So I'm still short one story idea for July. So, well, I had too many ideas um, for July, way too many potentials. But now I kind of added last night, I and added a Tony Rampart for July onto my list <laughs> of potentials. You are welcome, fandom. <laughs> I figure no one will be mad. And I might even be able to keep that down to, you know, yeah, what the fuck ever, dude. It just got into all of it in my brain. I'm planning the sequel to my April. Right now I'm planning the sequel to um, Send for the Man. That could change between now and April because I do have a small small story. Um, so do you remember that April is our sequel no, our established relationship challenge is not a sequel challenge, but it's easier for me to write an established relationship if I've already written the founding story. Right. That's just my preference. So I have a I have a wealth of stories I could write sequels to, but I really want to write the sequel to Send for the Man, but I have to write a story between it wouldn't be a very long story, but I just gotta get it done. You know, because in the sequel for Send for the Man, which I plotted when I wrote Send for the Man, um, it's it's retelling of not quite a retelling, but it's how the, the battle for New York would have been different with, um, you know, Alex and Tony married at Sentinel guide and um, the shepherds all in Iron Man suits, um, all of them. And except, except Tony, you know, except, except Alex who won't wear his suit because he doesn't like to fly and his suits named buttercup. And it just follows him around. <laughs> I feel so sad for his suit. His suit needs a penguin. His suit does need a penguin. But his suit, his, he's got his little Slytherin suit that's silver and green that he won't actually get into. Um, and so it follows him around because that's what Tony's coded the AI to do. Um, but anyway, so all the shepherds have suits, and so it would be like what how that things how things go a little bit differently um, for the battle for New York if with that but anyway so that's where it was plotted but i wanted to i didn't want to like just the the them getting married and the mer merger of separate industries and stark industries and the whole suits thing that all that story is different from the battle for new york thing and i need to write that middle piece yeah the battle of new york i mean it's just like the battle of the five armies it's like just this big moment it, it's a big <clears throat> thing but you know on the other hand if i'm just if i just don't feel like getting that middle story written 
you know, like these things, they're plotted. I could get to them at any time. I could pick up any of my Sentinel stories and write a sequel to it practically. I mean, there are a few that I could write sequels to really easily. And I will admit that I seriously considered writing the Awakening sequel um, in April. But if I'm going to write that sequel, I need to do it in private. Because I yeah. have a lot of um, emotional baggage attached to that. Um, and I don't want to do that in front of people. So, but anyway, I think we've exhausted the topic on that. But I'm more than willing to chat. But we probably need to end the podcast. Because we're hitting three, we're hitting three hours. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah. I think we started about twenty minutes late, so I think we're at two and a half ish. Ish, yeah. So I'll bet you. place. If, I'm gonna bet that we'll come in about two hours and fifteen minutes once she removes our thoughtful silence and all my typing. <laughs> you said two hours and how many minutes? Fifteen. Okay. I will, I will let you guys know. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And if you want to stick around and talk about Rough Trade, we can do that. But um, we shall catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>